Welcome everyone to episode 10 of season two of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shroud. I'd like to start by shouting out our Patreon subscribers, Adam Hahn, Christine Welchel, Isaac Rennert, Andrew Darby, Cody Wilson. So anyone listening, your name could go here as well. Just go to patreon.com slash recreational thinking to sign up. Our guests today are Ben Rothenberg, Jimmy Lee, and Chris Ottolino. Remember that order. It's arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. And so if we could, in that order, each briefly state where you're Zooming from and approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Ben. Ben Rothenberg, I'm Zooming from beautiful Northwest Washington, D.C., where it's sort of starting to be spring now. And yeah, I've enjoyed being teammates with these two in all sorts of myriad trivia competitions over the last year. It's made my, my almost exclusively indoor life much, much brighter past 12 months. All right, yeah, just like the Drew, Charlie, Oishi one, we have a pre-existing team together playing against each other. So, Jimmy? Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy Lee. I am a software engineer and based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, I totally echo Ben's sentiment. Having the online trivia world emerge in the way that it has in the last year has been terrific. And getting to play with Chris and Ben and, and Dan, who's not here today, has been really the best, one of the best parts about 20, 2020 and 2021. All right, Chris. Hey, yeah. My name is Chris Adelino, and I'm out of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm an engineer also, but I work for an architectural firm primarily doing healthcare design. And yeah, I just want to reiterate how much fun in a very dire situation having the online trivia world has been special thanks to Jimmy who we actually went to high school together and were high school quiz bowl teammates way back in the early 2000s and he's kind of brought me back all these wonderful memories of Keatsian odes etc flooding back into my uh, my brain that were just laying dormant for so many years all right well, hopefully we'll be able to capture some of that fun today this game is in four rounds, one individual, three specialists. The first round, I call the PRs round, allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prior material. So these questions are kind of a, a warm-up, not in the sense of being easy. You can give it as kind of a difficult warm-up. They're, they're going to be some of the most difficult questions of the game, but they'll only be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers. So for this round, only answers individuals. If the first person the question is directed at misses, It'll go to the second, then the third if the first two miss. So the further back you are, the less of a direct shot you have. More time you have to think, and some potential answers could get taken off the table. We'll rotate so each of you gets to answer three questions in first position, three in second, and three in third. And I will explain the rules of the next three rounds, which will change after this one. So just a general reminder, the content of the podcast is you talking through your thinking process. You don't internalize anything. Just share any interesting connections or thoughts you have, although you don't need to talk for the sake of talking. We don't need to fill up. All right, so we'll start with Ben in first position on the first question. You ready? I'm ready. All right. As ready as I'm going to be, yeah. Ben, let's start with a current events question. Last Sunday, Candace Fox, a photogenic bartender employed by Los Angeles's Hotel Cafe, played a minor but necessary role in what newsmaking achievement? And I will paste the question in the chat so you can see it. Okay. My first thought is that the Grammy Awards were last Sunday, I believe. So I think it has something to do with, and I think they were held in LA. And so that seems like it would make the most sense to me. And I guess a newsmaking achievement could be just a Grammy, maybe a specific Grammy win then for someone. Hmm. Not sure exactly how to calibrate this answer from here, but I will say who, who is a big Grammy winner? I, I will pick one of our patron saints of, of the Wednesday Academic Purists. I will say Megan Stallion's Grammy win will be, 
answer. All right. I'll keep quiet about that and pass it to Jimmy. All right. Well, I want to thank Ben for doing a lot of the hard initial thinking here. <laughs> for potentially, yeah, i not clear I would have even gone to this domain. But I do like this domain of the Grammys. And I will give a slightly different answer of Beyonce winning the highest or winning a Grammy or Grammys so that she's become the highest winning female artist passing Alison Krauss in Grammy history. All right, now again, keep quiet about that and pass it to Chris. I do think, I do like the thread you're all going down. I just can't think, of, this sounds so familiar like it's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not gonna get there, I don't think. I'm just gonna try a different avenue. The only other California news story I can think of that I'm gonna tie it into is maybe it has something to do with Gavin Newsom getting recalled. I don't know how, but that's going to be, I'm going to, I'm just pulling that tangent and maybe, it, maybe it'll strike gold for me. Okay. I, I hadn't heard about that actually. Not that surprising, but um, yeah. So Ben went right away to basically, yeah. So the gimmick this year at the Grammys was that the presenter, many of the presenters, instead of being celebrities were staff members at various independent music venues to kind of, you know, promote music venues during the pandemic. Specifically, Candace Fox presented the Album of the Year Grammy, so she Ooh. played a role in uh, Taylor Swift becoming the first female artist to have three Album mm. of the Year Grammys. But I, you know what? I think I'll just give credit to Ben since he was closest to everyone. That seems, that okay. seems very, that seems yeah, very I just tried the wrong female hard. artist there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. We'll start with Jimmy in first position. Jimmy. Daniel A. Reed was a collegiate football head coach at Cincinnati, Penn State, and Cornell before winning election to the U.S. House of Representatives from New York in 1918 and holding on to his seat until his death in 1959. He was then replaced in the Congress by what other New York Republican whose connection to football is less direct but hardly insubstantial? Hmm. All right. So this person who I've never heard of was, as you say, a head coach. And the answer we're looking for has a less direct connection to football. Okay, so that means that person did not play. That'd be more direct, I think. So something less direct than coaching. What could that mean? The relative of, of someone who played football, New York Republican. Relative? Jeez, I'm not really coming up with much. <sighs> All right, I am gonna go with the fairly bad answer of Bill Bradley because that's the only athlete turned politician I can think of, even though that person I don't think has any connection to football, but it is uh, less direct. True, Bill Bradley noted New Jersey Democrat. <laughs> New Jersey, New York, close Republican Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Also, in 1959, I think he went, may have been you know, less than- Oh, 1959, okay. <laughs> yep. So missing it on a variety of fronts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll uh, pass to Chris. Yeah, the 59 is also hanging me up because New York Republican, who I believe is New York, also connected to football, leads me to Jack Kemp. But I think that would probably be too early for him. But he also played football, which I consider a fairly direct connection. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think 59 might be too early for him. So let's see. What other connections to football could there be in... Yeah, I'm having trouble uh, thinking of another good New York Republican to throw in here. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe before he was mayor, he was in, and he was a Republican when it was a little different what their constituency says. So I'll say John Lindsay. Maybe there's a connection I'm not aware of. 
That's a good guess, but not correct. Ben? Um, so I will, I can't name any sort of circuit that era New York Republicans confidently, but I do know one of my sort of favorite trivia sets is the lists of New Jersey Turnpike rest stop names. And <laughs> one of the, clo the closest one to New York City is the Vince Lombardi one. And he would have been active around then. And so I'm hoping that maybe he has some relative who got into New York politics on the Republican side. This is not a great guess, but I will just say Lombardi as a guess, hoping it's some brother, son, or daughter, or sister, something like that. Yeah, so I think Jimmy was the first one to bring up family connections, and that was the, the right path, the right lines to think along. Do any of you know who the current NFL commissioner is? It's Goodell, uh, Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell, yes. Mm -hmm. His father, Charles Goodell, was. Oh, ah, did not know that. Although these questions are usually not connected, the next one is going to be a kind of a follow-on to this one. We'll start with Chris in first position. Charles Goodell was later appointed a U.S. Senator by Nelson Rockefeller following RFK's assassination. So he served alongside another liberal Republican, the senior senator from New York, Jacob Javits. Javits was eventually defeated in the 1980 Republican primary by Alphonse D'Amato, and then ran as a third-party candidate in the general election, splitting the liberal vote with Democratic nominee Elizabeth Holtzman and providing D'Amato a path to victory. Now, I've asked questions about Elizabeth Holtzman before. She's one of the great unsung heroes of the American left. But here, I'm just interested in the fact that in that same year, 1980, she won the Democratic primary over second-place finisher Bess Meyerson, who was herself a fascinating figure and a long-lasting presence on New York City's political scene until being brought down in the 1980s by a scandal that became known as the Best Mess. But here's the question. Way back in the 1940s, how did Bess Meyerson first become famous? Ooh. Well, 1940s Bess. There's definitely a Truman, <laughs> but I don't think that <laughs> I don't think that this is the same person. Obviously, um, let's see. The best mess. How did Bess Meyerson first become famous? Well, I don't have a great answer on this, unfortunately, but. Um, Let's say that if she was an active political figure in the 80s, maybe in the 40s, she was in some sort of like World War II propaganda. I'll start as general there. So appearing in World War II propaganda material. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's an acceptable answer. So I'll pass to Ben. I was wondering, if, Chris, if you're going to go all the way to she was Rosie the Riveter or something like that, <laughs> if you're going to get that far. I, I also don't know really at all. But I do know that in that sort of era of the, I don't think it's progressive whatsoever, but in that sort of era of New York politics, at least, well, Flashpoint wasn't really New York politics, but the, the Rosenberg's trial was happening around then and was sort of a lot of different people got their, got their uh, launches there. And so I could see her being, as a progressive, being maybe more defending that. So I will say something along the line of defending people against early Red Scare tactics. All right. Decent guess. I like the kind of outside the box thinking, but not correct. Jimmy? I don't know what the box is that I'm even thinking outside <laughs> of for this. So <laughs> everything is going to have to be outside the box. Fair enough. Mm, yeah, I really don't have any guesses that seem like they even have a 0.01% chance of being correct. So I think I'm going to just abstain and pass in this one to spare myself another Bill Bradley type situation. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, Chris isn't 100% wrong in terms of thinking about sort of, I guess, propaganda-related, well, I'm trying to think of a better word for it, but like, 
Is she the person getting kissed in the photo? <laughs> that 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 was my that's what I was thinking, but I yeah. I mean, again, yeah, not a bad guy. I mean, 1945 is the correct year to think about. But yeah, I think though that person has never been definitively identified. There are multiple mm. claims. But mm. yeah, and, and Ben was also kind of along the line thinking of American social history, especially Jewish American social history. Best Meyerson was to date to be only Jewish Miss America. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. What made her famous was being Miss America, so that was all I was looking for, but it's mm-hmm. also interesting she was the only Jewish one. I'm sure she found herself on the opposite side of Roy Cohn and other things besides <laughs> the uh, Rosenberg's trial, if nothing else. All right. Ben, in the first position on this question. Enrique Tario, a former petty criminal and sometime CI, criminal informant to law enforcement, has visibly dark skin and identifies as being of Afro-Cuban descent which makes it rather bizarre that he is the nominal leader of what American organization? Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Someone who would be unusual to have be Afro-Cuban would be, I would think something that's somewhat racially by design against that. So I'm thinking of something extremely white. It's hard for me to imagine the KKK having an Afro-Cuban leader of any kind, but it would be bizarre. And I think they're the kind of group who has po- probably qualified as having a nominal leader. I don't, well, I don't know, maybe they're really into power structures there and have a really clearly defined corporate hierarchy. But I will, yeah, I think I'm going to say the KKK because they would certainly have criminals involved. Petty crime would not be something they would scoff at. So I will say the KKK. All right. Good guess, but not correct here. Jimmy? Okay. Well. So I do feel like I've come across this person's name in news articles recently. I'm going to say the Proud Boys. Proud Boys, famously founded by Gavin McInnes, but can he step down? Tario was his successor. Well, actually, someone else was his successor for a few days and then Tario, but um, Proud Boys is correct. Okay. Wasn't too far off. Yeah. 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 You're definitely thinking wrong along the right lines. I'll begin with Jimmy in first position on this. Jimmy, introduced in France and Belgium in the mid 2000s. Coca-Cola Light Sango was the first flavor of Coke developed outside of Atlanta for the European market. What specific citrus variety was its signature ingredient? And I'm looking for something specific, so insufficiently specific answers I might treat as wrong. (laughs) Okay. Introduced in France and Belgium, Light Sango. All right. So just a couple different pieces of information to go off of. Something introduced in France and Belgium, Sango, S-A-N-G-O. That word doesn't really make me think of much. I feel like I'm going to have to take kind of a stab in the dark here. Um, Well, specific. The fact that you're asking for specific is also a clue. What kind of specific citrus variety would be interesting? All right. I'm going to go with pomelo just because it's a specific-y thing. Yeah, Pomelo. I think that's one of like the main fruits from which all the other citruses are descended. So if anything, it's kind of less specific. <laughs> mm. I see. I see. But good guess. Chris? Yeah. Also, this is not <laughs> ringing any bells or doing anything for me. Also not a very strong food drink player. <laughs> and I don't know much about the uh, produce in France or Belgium or any of Europe. So that's, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to glom on to the A-N-G in the middle of that and guess tangerine. Oh, I like that logic, but 
not correct here, Ben? I took enough high school French. I feel like I could name most citrus fruits in French. And I'm not finding any that Sango really looks like or, or sounds like because it's not like pomplamousse for grapefruit or mm-hmm. citron for lemon or citron vert for green lemon for lime because they don't have much imagination in the French language when it comes to food. So I will also have to, so specific, I will say a type of maybe it's more specific of general fruits. I will say a key lime. Yeah, bilingualism definitely would have been an aid on this. That was kind of the, the path to go down. But I mean, even if you don't know what song means in French, it's similar. Oh, 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 song. Okay, now I know. Now that you oh, said that. that. Blood orange? It's a blood orange, yeah. Mm, Sanguine. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There. Okay, mm, that's smart. Okay. There was an N. Mm. Yeah. Yes, the blood orange is correct. I was, I was thinking, just, I was just throwing my sentence so much like mango. I kept thinking, I saw myself thinking mango over and over mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. I was caught in the like, like sanka is decaf coffee, so like san meaning without. And I was like, what is without go? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> many roads to wrong answers there. Good work, team. Yeah, it's hard to pick out. There was definitely a way to the correct answer, but you had to avoid yeah. Yeah, misleads. All right, Chris, the Fallout Boy song "You're Crashing But You're No Way" from the 2007 album Infinity on High. It's a sympathetic account of the 1993 arson trial that sent what man to prison for several years. His name should be familiar to you if you've been following this year's Oscar nominations. Oh, hmm. I did look at the Oscar nominations, but that's not helping. (laughs) I didn't look at them very thoroughly, I guess. The only arson I can think of around that time, although I don't know if these tied in any music, is there's that like Norwegian black metal artist who burned down several churches and maybe there was a documentary. So I think that was, I think that was Varg Vakernes. So I'm going to say that because I don't know that I'm going to puzzle. I I might try to justify myself if I go down another avenue. So I'm going to go with Varg Vakernes. All right. I can't, well, yeah, I don't know that individual name, so I can't verify if you have the right one. That is not the answer. <laughs> ben? All right. My favorite 90s arson, if you, because we're supposed to have such a thing, is when Lisa left I Lopez, mm. um, set her shoes on fire, and tried to burn down. I think Andre Ryson was her boy, football player boyfriend at the time. But that's not a, we're looking for a man. So, and she is not involved in any Oscar nominations. I just wanted to mention my, my favorite arson of the 90s. This is sort of a, you know, cocktail party kind of thing. Oh, what's your favorite arson? <laughs> So I think my thought, just cursory knowledge of the nominations in terms of like who has real life figures who could be involved in this. There's the Trial of Chicago 7 is one of the, is one of the movies that's nominated uh, for Best Picture. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen is nominated. I, believe, I haven't seen this movie yet, but I think he's nominated for playing Abby Hoffman, who I'm guessing would still be around and possibly burning things in the 90s. So with no real justification besides being Oscar tangential, I will say Abby Hoffman. All right. Again, good logic, but not the correct answer here. Jimmy? Oh, man. I was really hoping that Chris or Ben would get it right. So <laughs> take this question out of uh, rotation. Oh, okay. Yes. My only, I, I, I don't have much knowledge about the 90s arsons, definitely much less than Ben has. Um, so my only in is the Oscar nominations. And not all of them are coming to mind, of course, just uh, some of the standouts. His name should be familiar. Okay. Maybe, maybe, is that a, that's saying it's a different person just who shares the same name um is there a person whose name might overlap um let me try to say something here as opposed to passing like last time uh okay i'm gonna go with incredibly lame answer (laughs) 
I guess it's only I can think of two Oscar nominees: Chadwick Boseman and Anthony Hopkins. And who else? I mean, I don't, they're, they're both best actor. I'm gonna go with Anthony Hopkins just because it sounds like a more generic name. Right. No, uh, yeah. known arsonist. Accomplished <laughs> <laughs> many things in his career. I'm not sure arson is one of them, but um, yeah. So Jimmy was absolutely right that the use of the phrasing that his name should be familiar is significant because again, sometimes I've used it in the past before to indicate that it's kind of you're looking for someone who has the same name, maybe a family connection to someone else rather than the mm. actual person. But yeah, 1993, basically, you know, there were a lot of firebombing going on as part of various riots, usually race-related, in the wake of the Rodney King verdict. This incident actually took place in Chicago rather than Los Angeles, but it was definitely seen as being, you know, related to that whole nexus of events. And in terms of, you know, a race or civil rights activist who was mentioned a lot in connection with this year's Oscar nominations. I mean, there were multiple civil rights themed movies, but one of them was Judas and the Black Messiah. Fred Hampton. Focused on Fred Hampton, who, who died at the age of 21. He was very young when he died, but he did, before he died, father a son who grew up and became known as Fred Hampton Jr. Hmm. He was the one who was sent to prison as a result of that 1993 trial. Very interesting. All right, one last cycle of these now. Each of you will be in first position one more time. So starting with Ben. Portraying the shady but ultimately loving father of Lee Mack's character on the sitcom Not Going Out right up until his death in October 2020, what British comedian is best known in his native country performing half of a long-running double act with Tommy Cannon? Oh, gosh. I don't recognize any of these proper nouns in this question. I'm British. I know, okay, I know, I know where Britain is. Okay, we'll start there. In October, actually, I know that too. Okay, so, um, oof, long running double act with Tommy Cannon. Who would I pair with Cannon? I would pair Ball. So I will say Ball. My answer. Hmm. Yeah, basically, the name he used in performance was Bobby Ball to make Cannon. Um, I got this right. Wow. Oh my gosh! Great work. Wow. Awesome. Okay. The uh, <laughs> linguistic approach. I Very tell nice. you, that was. Nice. I, yeah, clearly, clearly, well earned point. As everyone who heard my my thought process can attest. <laughs> Right. This is why I tell people, always guess. There's no, there's never a penalty on this podcast for guessing. So even, you know, taking what you think is a low percentage path, it's better than a 0% chance if you don't guess anything at all. Jimmy. Yeah, come on. Start guessing, Jimmy. <laughs> Humiliation is a real thing. <laughs> all right. Jimmy, now in first position for this, awarded in 2019 to Atlanta Braves pitcher Mike Soroka and in 2020 to Jamie Romack, who plays in South Korea's KBO Baseball League. The Tip O'Neill Award is given annually to honor a baseball player, usually but not always a professional, who must have what characteristic? In other words, what's the minimal characteristic besides being good at baseball that you have to even be considered for this award? Okay, this is interesting. So awarded to a pitcher, Mike Soroka, and then someone in the South Korea Baseball League. So, so yes, I've not heard of the baseball players, I believe I've heard of Tip O'Neill. So Tip O'Neill was a Massachusetts politician, if I remember correctly. Now, what kind of politician? You know, no need to, no need for me to comment on that. I remember. Uh, <laughs> um, and what kind of characteristic? I do not associate Tip O'Neill with any notable characteristics. In fact, I don't associate Tip O'Neill with much of anything aside from Massachusetts. So let me just try to take a reasonable guess at what an award might be given for or associated with a, quote, minimal characteristic. Hmm. All right. What's a reasonable guess there? 
I'm going to say oh, minimal characteristic. That is interesting. What does that mean? Minimal. What does that have to do with Tip O'Neill? All right. I'm spending too long on this. I think I could spend maybe half an hour on this question. I'll spare everybody. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, oh, geez. All right. I'm going to say does not have 10 fingers, under 10 fingers. Oh. Answer, but I'm just going to go with that. I would think that would be like the Mordecai Brown award. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Good guess, not correct, Chris. Oh yeah, this is not helping. So yeah, Tip O'Neill was a politician. He was the Speaker of the House for a long time. Yeah. Infamously would have these like supposedly useful drinking sessions with Reagan where they would hash out whatever <laughs> whatever congressional business they needed to do. Don't think that's going to be what <laughs> guides me to the answer here. I, for some reason, I'm also thinking there was like a long ago baseball player, like maybe like pre-1900, also named Tip O'Neill, who I'm trying to think if there's anything other than that name existing that could help me here, because that would obviously be a more direct baseball connection. Other than that, the king in on some of the words here, I don't know anything about, I can kind of picture his face, but like his stature, if there's something like Tip O'Neill was very short or something like that. And that like that would be what the consideration would be. And then there's always, yeah, like Jimmy said, maybe it's just like the best baseball player from Massachusetts, but that also doesn't seem very interesting to ask a question about. <laughs> and these questions are, in, are interesting. So let's see, um, what can I do? What can I tease out here? I'm going to, I'm gonna just, key i'm gonna try to go in a completely different direction and say because i don't know who the pitcher is his name doesn't ring any bells and just say that they are over 45 years old okay i like i like that's a good guess yeah again a good attempt to sort of think creatively there but not correct ben um okay so the south korean baseball league was notably like the first sort of league or one of the first leagues to come back and start playing mid pandemic. It was like one of the first live sports that was available to watch on a sort of professional level. Um, I remember staying up one night and streaming like opening day of the Korean baseball league on ESPN actually, because they had so little content, they immediately bought up Korean baseball rights and they had all their top analysts like weighing in on these teams they never heard of and players they maybe saw for like one season, double A's or something. So I'm wondering if it's something to do if, if in 2020 South Korean baseball Makes me think maybe it's something to do with that. Tip O'Neill, uh, yeah, I was thinking maybe he's like a titan of the American left, so it's like a left-handers award, but that's a little that's a little silly, although it would be a minimal characteristic. Maybe something like uh, minimal characteristic. Yeah, it's tough. I, I mm, Yeah, I, I guess just to sort of go to 2020 South Korean baseball, like why that would have been an award winner in 2020. I will say like first opening day, winner for like a game okay yeah so i mean i mean all three of you obviously are familiar with the politician tip o'neill which is definitely why the name kind of jumps out at me and seems kind of strikingly interesting but chris also pointed to the old-time baseball player tip o'neill who is the actual mm. sake of this award uh, yeah among the the probably maybe more famous winners of it include joey Votto, justin morneau larry walker it's given to the best Canadian baseball player of the year. Mm. Ah, okay. Okay. And now the final question of this round, we'll begin with Chris in first position. And this is another long one. Born in Detroit of mixed Caucasian, African and Native American ancestry, 
Operatic soprano Maria Ewing became renowned for her performance of The Dance of the Seven Veils from Richard Strauss's Salome, leading a New York Times critic to state, in a turn of phrase that has perhaps not aged well, she carries the dance to its logical conclusion of full frontal nudity, and she has the body to justify that choice. So Ewing spent much of her life in England, marrying the founder of the Royal Shakespeare Company and giving birth to what actress who, unlike her mother, is white passing and frequently portrays Caucasian characters on screen. This woman recently made her future directorial debut with, appropriately, an adaptation of Nella Larson's Harlem Renaissance novel, Passing. Hmm. Well, let me see what I can suss out of this. So looking at least for an actress, white passing. So maybe someone I wasn't aware had African parentage, but British or likely grew up British. So that kind of potentially narrows down who I'm looking for as well. The only, hmm, I'm not keying on too much. I also can't place the necessarily the year it happened. The only person I'm kind of leaning towards, although I don't know anything about a tie to the Royal Shakespeare Company, but certainly an actress, possibly white passing, I don't know, but who I know is British connected because I believe she's also related to the the Coburns, the journalist family, uh, the Olivia Wilde. So I'm going to go with that as my guess, Olivia Wilde. Yeah, that is a good guess. And yeah, she's kind of the same family as like Alexander Coburn and and, uh, her grandfather, Claude Coburn, wrote the the novel that the movie Beat the Devil was based on. Yeah, good guess, good knowledge, but not correct. Ben? Um, That was a good guess. Yeah, I think she did her directorial debut with Booksmart, I think. um, Yeah, that's that's in the rights for a range. I'm thinking of someone sort of similar age range. Um, Thinking, I'm sort of honing in on the Detroit part of this. I don't know if there's more Michigan connection. But my thought here, again, I'm not sure how white passing is defined exactly, as much as person's ancestry is known, but my guess would be Rashida Jones. Interesting. Rashida Jones' mother famously was Mod Squad star Peggy Lipton. Okay. You go Mod Squad over Twin Peaks, huh? (laughs) I recently encountered Nella Larson, by the way, on stamps, but it's my mom had some some stamps with Nella Larson. And I said, I don't know who that is. And I read her Wikipedia page. So big... Not that it was all helpful for this, but, you know, I feel like knowledge is swirling around me and but not really connecting. Yeah, very interesting person. And the basis of her early writing got a, a genius grant, but um, never really, or a fellowship, but never really produced anything else. And mm-hmm. several decades later, when she died, it was discovered she'd been working as a nurse, completely unknown for, yeah, and she never returned to writing after her release. Mm-hmm. Jimmy. Yeah, okay. Rashida Jones did come to mind, but yeah. <sighs> I am currently thinking of the person who stars alongside Andy Samberg in Palm Springs for some reason, but I can't remember her name. I think she played the mother in How I Met Your Mother, but I don't think that person's likely the right answer anyway, so I'm not going to invest too much time trying to pull the name. Um, Okay, so yeah, I don't know what part of this clue to zero in on the England part or the, I mean, certainly the, the white passing part, but I can't come up with anyone who would be a decent guess. I will try. All right. I, I can't come up with any reasonable guesses. I'm just going to pass again in a lame fashion. I mean, again, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this, is like one. this is one where you could try frauding with a common last name. 
Uh, I see. Well, if it's not too late, I will go with uh, my, my typical uh, Johnson, Mr. Johnson. That has worked for people in the past and you know, not a bad <laughs> guess, but um, in this case, so the founder of the Royal Shakespeare Company, a renowned figure in the British theatrical scene in the 20th century, his name was Sir Peter Hall, and his daughter appeared around 2008, broke out with roles in Vicky Cristina Barcelona and The Prestige, I think did The Town a couple of years later, has been in many films since then. Her name is Rebecca Hall. Hmm. Oh, okay. Our, okay. Yeah. I think I know who she is in Vicky Cristina Okay. All right, so we did avoid a shutout on that round. You have to finish it with Ben at 0.2, Jimmy at 0.1, Chris at 0.0. But of course, those are all very low, you know, these are all very low valued questions. So the rest of the game will be much more definitive in terms of- I'm savoring my lead while it lasts, nonetheless, <laughs> by these fractions. All right, so round one, the not all that hard round. These are intended to be the easiest questions of the game, although they won't be easy. In this round and all successive rounds, each of you will get three specialist questions related to your categories. Standard caveats, not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of the category, merely directly or obliquely to keep everyone on their toes. I won't reveal the categories until they become evidence. By the last round, I think I will be revealing them, but not at first. So before you can answer, your opponents will get to work together to try and steal the points from you. You only get a chance to answer for points if they miss. If I pass it over to you without telling you if they've gotten it right or not, just assume that they haven't, because if you just copy their answer, Either way, you won't get points. If it's wrong, you won't get points. If it's right, they'll get the points, and you still won't get points. So just don't copy their answer. What else? Okay. Uh, there might occasionally be bonuses. If you get stolen from, you might get a chance to answer a question that relates to the question, not necessarily the topic, not necessarily the same difficulty level, but may just kind of be spun off of the original question, and it'll be worth half as many points as a steal. That won't happen with every question, so just think of it as an element of chance that's part of the game and a chance to maybe show off some more knowledge. Yeah, so these questions are not all that hard. They'll be worth two points as a steal, one point as a specialist, and now and for the rest of the game, the points will go to both stealers, even if only one knew the answer. So we will begin with Jimmy and Chris to try and steal from Ben. Is everyone ready? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Here's your question. Javine Hilton, who represented the UK at the 2005 Eurovision Song Contest, had previously appeared on the 2002 reality competition show Pop Stars The Rivals, which was intended to create two pop groups who could face off in a battle of the sexes for that year's UK Christmas number one single, which if you've seen Love Actually or just follow British music, you know, is a huge deal for the UK. So Hilton made it to the finals of Pop Stars and was the last female contestant to be eliminated, which means that she missed by the narrowest possible margin becoming a member of which girl group whose first 20 singles all hit the top 10 on the UK charts? Okay. 2005 mm -hmm. contest. 2000. I mean, could this be? So I know, I believe British, but I think was earlier was All Saints. Is that, that's, that's, this is a little too late for that though. Am I right? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only, more, yeah, kind of like, see me so, as yeah. Uh, but the only other off of yeah yeah the only other like assembled girl group that it lines up more at the time would be pussycat dolls okay um but i don't know i i as far as i know that did not come out of any sort of british competition show i just don't know if they have a better answer for um mm -hmm. i mean how, yeah there can't be or there's many. also that like s club seven but okay. i think i think but I 20 like, 20 singles all hitting the top 10 so, can't uh, that, right? you know, that might be, so there's a group called like S Club 7, okay. which is a very 
I believe British, maybe around that time group that assembled that I kind of want to like, that sounds good to me. If you want to go for that, if you think that group was pretty successful in in the UK anyway, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm happy with that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll go with, uh, we'll lock in S club seven. All right. I believe S club seven was gender integrated. Yeah. Oh, got it. Mm-hmm. Good. Probably yeah. Chris. yeah. Solid. Yeah. They're written their seven mix of, of boys and girls is sort of the, theme in the uk of trying to make vaguely abba ish things be popular like 18s or whatever then um so this is a great pick for for your vision by the way javine hilton who's saying touch my fire the 2005 contest for the uk but i don't know which group she would have missed i'm down to two basically this is a lot of a lot of hits and so the two groups that i think would have emerged around then would be girls allowed which spun off oh what's her name why am i blanking her name um the one who's the judge on X Factor and is it the One Directioner? Anyway, uh, Girls Aloud or uh, Sugar Babes are the two groups who are, I think, were the big UK girl groups who were emerging around this time, unless I'm missing somebody. 20 singles in top 10 is a lot. But I think they were probably starting up around 0203 with Sugar Babes. I will say, I will say Sugar Babes, who's sort of the Destiny's Child of. Britain had a lot of lineup changes, but I'll say sugar babes. All right. Yeah. The interesting thing about the 2002, the Christmas chart is that all three of the top acts that week had some connection to Pop Drugs Arrivals. Number three was the Cheeky Girls, the uh, novelty act who basically became famous when they appeared in the audition stage and were eliminated, but were still offered a contract just based on novelty and ended up having like half a dozen UK top 10 hits or something like that. Or Yeah. The second was the male group formed on that show, One True Voice, which ended up disbanding by the end of 2003 and are remembered only as a footnote to the winning group, which was massively successful. All five of its members are still uh, celebrities. It's girls allowed. Yeah, damn. Mm. If I don't have any members there were, like if she'd said she was like the sixth, I could have figured out because they had different numbers of members. And tough, was break, three. T- t- tough break. Tough break. Yeah. Yeah. She was the basically the sixth one. Yeah. So, okay. Cheryl Cole is the one I'm thinking of who's the main main person from Girls Aloud, yeah. Yeah, she also recorded a Cheryl Tweedy, and I think now just goes by a mononym. Now just Cheryl, yeah. She divorced Cole. All right. Next question will be Ben and Chris to try and steal from Jimmy. In 2019, controversial entrepreneur Andre Andreev stepped down as CEO of Magic Lab and handed the reins over to his protege, Whitney Wolf Hurd. Under the 31-year-old herd, the company went public in February 2021 with a over $13 billion valuation. But by that time, herd had changed the company's name to that of its most famous brand, which she herself had created. So how is the company that was formerly Magic Lab currently known? Mm. So she, Whitney Herd, created a brand. And she's young. So she's 30 one-year-old so she this is a brand created by a pretty young woman that's already doing big big things and just recently went public that's what i'm trying to like that went public last month with an over 13 billion dollar valuation so i'm trying to think if there's some like obviously tech but like some app or something that like could plausibly have been you know under a i mean the 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 it's not this for a lot of reasons but i'm thinking of how like blackberry somewhat recently you know actually rebranded as blackberry instead of right motion but like yeah something along those lines makes sense 
the company's most famous brand. I don't know. I don't think of apps as being brands per se. I think of brand being sure. more of like an imprint of something. So, oh, is there sense. something I'm trying to think of? Uh, we don't also, like, we, we I, I was thinking sure. of like Fitbit or something like that. Sorry. No, like, Fitbit, like, Fitbit could make some sense. Magic Lab. I think Fitbit kind of peaked earlier than February 2020. I feel like they would have gone public earlier than that, probably. Um, also, are we're not. Sh- are we, there's nothing explicitly saying this is tech, is it? I mean, in this That's question, true. I think we're just we, we can imply based or... on like sort of you know hot IPOs and big valuations that it'd be mm-hmm. tech. But I don't know. And Magic Lab, I guess, kind of sounds techy. But yeah. Hmm. And what is there anything the controversial like controversial entrepreneur? I mean, probably just. I mean, the same way that like, you know, Uber becomes controversial in terms of like corporate culture, I would imagine, or sort of, you know, toxic men on top of tech yeah, companies, right. Silicon Valley being skeevy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, 13 billion, most famous brand founded by a woman, Whitney Wolf Heard. And she, and it sounds like she may be, yeah. Hmm. It, could, yeah. it could be something, it could be something like, I think of like things that are, that I hear a lot of ads for anyway, that are like techish and kind of new. It's like, there's a bunch of like, this is probably not right, but like meal subscription type services, you know, like your blue aprons or your um, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I just named blue apron really... over and over again. Cause I can't think of any of their names right now, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know the answer to this. I just think that it'd be some, something that's a little more producty than a, than an app where an app, if it was an app, it could be like Bumble or something like that. Maybe Bumble actually is not a bad guess. That's like a notably female brand where the, you know, the dating app where the women pick first. Yeah, I like that. Because I think a lot of those are like conglomerates where they own like multiple different ones okay. and aggregate the data, you know, and like, so. Okay, I'm I mean, okay it, with that actually. I think that one, that one makes the most sense. I mean, I'm, yeah, I think, I, I, that's a probably, it makes sense for like something that would be coming, going public around February, 2021, roughly. Okay. Right. So, okay. I'm okay with that guess. Do you want to go with that? Sure. All right. Well, you guys will go with Bumble. All right. Is that correct, Jimmy? <laughs> I, I I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> I, I don't I don't believe that's correct. I don't believe that's correct. But I I am also not 100 percent sure. Uh, I'll I'll cut you off there. And Andre Andrea famously founded Badoo, another dating app, and aggregated a bunch of them in Magic Lab. But it's now named after the most successful one, the one famously developed by a woman. It is Bumble. Great yeah. job! Great job! Wow! I was going a different direction with that. Well done. Good thinking. I know Serena Williams is a Bumble brand ambassador, which is weird because she's married, but I, I sort of knew that as being sort of a female empowerment kind of brand that's sort of in the, yeah, the moment now. Java, Jimmy and Ben now to steal from Chris. Grabbing our attention right away with the subhead, a two ounce songbird, a lemon sized tumor, an imperial appetite for death, flesh, and the immortal gesture. It was time for dinner. And never relinquishing it, Michael Paternity's The Last Meal, first published in the May 1998 issue of Esquire, is one of the greatest pieces of descriptive long-form journalism ever written, in my opinion. It recounts the banquet at which what dying politician, with a handful of his closest friends, consumed a sumptuous meal that included oysters, foie gras, capons, and the notorious ortolan bunting. Mm. Okay. So are we going to think that this politician died circa 98 or do you think this is a, a more historical piece? Let's start with that. Right. In terms of how we start puzzling this. Good question. Let me read this carefully. So published, it recounts the banquet at which what dying politician? Hmm. Ambiguous. Ambiguous. Not clear if 98 is, 
if he was writing about something that had happened a while ago. Journalism is usually pretty contemporary. So right, I mean, it's not, right. it's not history. So yeah, long-form yeah. journalism would be Let's, relatively contemporary. Maybe, maybe we can work with that assumption then. Yeah. So I don't know this answer, but notorious Ortolan bunting. I don't know what that would mean at all. No. Bunting is usually, I think of bunting as being like the, you know, the red, white, and blue fabric mm. things you put on the wall, yes. which normally would not be consumed. Yes. I guess if he's yeah. really eager to die, maybe yeah. he would eat, yeah. eat the fabric, but yeah. that would seem like a weird method of self-poisoning. That's just a lot of chewing involved there. Yeah. Um, okay. Huh. So dying politician, mid to late 90s, right? Yeah. Um, closest friends. So he had friends, so that's good for him. What, what politicians? Only a handful, though. Um, what politicians in the 90s would be... Well, politicians die in the 90s. I think it's somebody who like peaked before that, right? Like probably did, unless... Did, 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 when did Gorbachev die? Oh, you're right. I was thinking American plea for some reason. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gorbachev is still alive, I think. Is that right? Okay. I think so. I you think might be so. right. Yeah. No, but that's okay. I completely, for some reason, only thinking American, but that's really smart to, yeah. to broaden my horizons. So I was Maybe. thinking, I'll tell you the dumb thing I was thinking. I just thought mm-hmm. oysters. And it's like, oh, oysters, Rockefeller. It's probably a Rockefeller, but that's okay. not smart. Okay. So... I feel like if we were American, we'd be more likely to have heard of it. Yeah. How about, okay. So someone like, so someone who is like a, a really, you know, living in the lap of luxury, like, you know, flashy, obnoxious mm-hmm. wealth, Ortolan bunting kind of wealth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. I like that. Person. So that makes you think some sort of, you know, despotic sort of, yes. yes. you know, Idi Amin type figure mm-hmm. who, I mean, Idi Amin was dead before that, right? 498, I would think. I think so. I actually don't know now that I say that. No, me neither. I don't know when he perishes. No. I think I think a guess along those lines would be good. Yeah. Um, so okay. So so a, a big time politician who was noxiously wealthy, who died on the notorious Ortolan Bunting. Huh. Okay. Other people who kind of come to mind, maybe was dying around ninety eight, would be like Juan Perón. I mean, he probably he was sort of well, he was in power in the fifties. So, and then again, the seventies, I think. And so I don't know if he made it all the way in 98 age wise. Evita obviously died decades mm-hmm. before that, but she had cancer. <laughs> so yeah, it just sort of, I, I'm not good. I'm not good at knowing who would have died circa 98. Yeah, this, but somebody, somebody along those lines, if you want to pick between like, and I guess like Marcos from the Philippines would be another person who would be sort of mm. noxiously wealthy, maybe died around 98. Let's try that. They're there pretty more eighties. You want to go Marcos? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we will go uh, Marcos Yogesh. All right. Good guess, but not correct. Chris? So, yeah, I, th- I like listening to that because it did like key me in that it's probably someone who died closer to then because my initial thought was maybe like Mao, Mao Zedong, but I, he was died in mm-hmm. the 70s, of course. And I believe the Ortolan bunting, is this the one that you eat with a cloth over your face to hide your shame from God or something like that <laughs> along those lines? No, so you eat a, you eat a bird like whole a baby bird hole, I believe, is the um, thing. Is the thing. But anyway, so keying on the year 1998, you know, maybe it took a little bit of time to write and do the journalism behind it. I'm, I'm going to go back a few years before that to someone I believe died in 1994 and say Kim Il-sung, the original leader and you know formulator of the Juche ideology in hmm. North Korea. So I'm going to lock in with Kim Il-sung. Okay, yeah. Like this question, I originally had a few more clues in it, and then I deleted them because I didn't want it. I thought it might be too easy, but I guess maybe I should have kept those in. Okay. But I mean, the Ortolan, as Chris said, it's famously 
make it by basically drowning baby birds while they're alive. And it's, you know, meant to be consumed, I guess, in one bite. But you do cover, yeah, you're supposed to cover yourself with a cloth to kind of, it's so sinfully pleasurable, supposedly, that you um, have to hide from God while consuming it. Uh, okay. And because of the, the sort of animal cruelty involved in preparing it, it's officially illegal. But certainly, you know, if you know who to talk to, basically, you can uh, you can consume it. I think maybe Anthony Bourdain did in one of his TV specials, but it's very much you know, linked to French cuisine. Mm-hmm. I thought that the, the mention of fine cuisine would just send everyone to France right away. I'm a bit mm-hmm. surprised. None of you kind of landed. Well, I just think that all dictators love fine cuisine. I yeah, think that's what yeah, unites. That, that unites. The, uh... Yeah, that, <laughs> that's where we were. Yeah. We went. Okay, yeah. The, the French president who would have died around that time, Francois Mitterrand. Around, uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. But yeah, it, I mean, actually, it's been a very long time out of power. He actually died in the 21st century. Yeah. Okay. In, was it in Saudi Arabia? It was, yeah. Hmm. All right. Next question. Jimmy and Chris to steal from Ben. The current cash prize that accompanies winning RuPaul's Drag Race is $100,000. Back in 2009, when the show premiered, the winner was only guaranteed $20,000 in cash, but they were also promised a photo spread in what internet breaking magazine? Huh. Um, 2009. So I. Internet breaking. Yeah. Well, there was that famous Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Photo. Uh-huh. That, that, was it, that was part of a magazine. Was it? Okay. I cannot what, think what magazine that was. What, what might be a reasonable guess? It's, I mean, well, it's one word, but that doesn't really help. <laughs> uh, I want to say it's like audition or audience, or, but that might just be, um, I might just be thinking along those lines but photo spread in what internet breaking magazine is there anything else in here that could point us in the right direction well a magazine that um that would make sense to have that sort yes, of yes with drag race exactly i don't really know many um, internet magazines i mean there are a number of like lgbt centered magazines mm-hmm. but although i don't know if it's a magazine like the advocate that might be more of a newspaper, but I, I, that that doesn't really fit the internet breaking or they're uh, not really a photo spread outlet either. Do you want to just say, I don't know why I've, I thought audition, but let's go with that. That yeah, sounds good. Yeah. I have no we'll guesses. Say, we'll say audition. All right. Good guess, but not correct. Ben? Yeah. The prize money for Drag Race is still hundred thousand, which sort of, I think got a hundred thousand in season four. And then it stayed parked there ever since for like 10 years, even as the show moved from logo to VH1 and, makes a lot more money. And so I think the basic understanding is that all the performers, all the contestants, the queens will make their money sort of touring afterwards, which sadly it's not been possible for the more recent, you know, mid pandemic people there. I'm pretty sure the so the photo, yeah, I think you're right. The internet breaking, break the internet moment, the Kim Kardashian photo where she's spraying the champagne bottle into a glass that's resting on her uh, rear shelf is, I think I'm pretty sure that was in paper magazine which is, I think, also something that probably would have been willing to give this upstart drag queen show a, a photo spread back in 2009. So with, with w- eventual winner, Bibi Zahara Benet. So I will say, sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen season one yet, but I will, uh, I will say Paper Magazine. Uh, yeah, the logic, again, of looking for the one that had the Kim Kardashian photo spread that broke the internet was right. And ironically, for something linked to the internet, its name is, in fact, Paper. Mm-hmm. Nice job. Thanks. Okay, next question, Ben and Chris, to try and steal from Jimmy. In Greek mythology, Talos, or Talos, was a bronze automaton who protected the island of Crete from outsiders. 
he was eventually destroyed by Medea, who exsanguinated him by removing the nail protecting his circulatory system and thus depriving him of ichor. Where on Talos's body, according to the myth, was that nail located? It's also the place where you would find your own talus bone. Okay, talus, I think, is, is that big toe? It's one, I think it's one of these appendages like that, you know, like we just had to learn mm-hmm. the question about Pollux or po- yeah, Pollux. Oh, yeah. I yeah, think talus, I want to say, is a big toe. And so that would make sense to have a nail, right? But yeah. that's just sort of, I don't have any logic behind that beyond what I just said. See, I think it's that I thought, I thought the big toe was something else. I thought it was like Pollux and Hallux. Oh, Hallux, maybe that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think you're. For some reason, I'm thinking talus is in that area and maybe the ankle. Um, but it wouldn't have a, a nail. And then the nail is what? The nail The nail is just like a plug in the- Oh, in it's the an actual top. like hardware yeah, store kind it, of nail? You pull it out and yeah, you pull it out. Oh, okay. At least that's that's my reading of this. Okay. I, yeah, I've, I'm familiar with- Yeah, I mean, and like, yeah, I mean, like certainly the Greeks, as we know, were famously into lower body- Weaknesses that occur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They love, they love, you know, sandal Um, shortcomings or whatever you want to call them. Um, So the the talus bone. I mean, there's certainly bones in the ankle because those are the tarsals in your foot, right? Yeah, right. right, Bones. Yeah, and then so tarsal into talus. I guess. Yeah. yeah, This is. I thought this is fairly basic anatomy. I should know, but Mm. yeah, I'm okay. If if you like ankle more than yeah, I think you're right about it being hallux. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to assume. And if you know the if it was like the elbow, you would know about it. <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> thankfully, we don't actually have to use the Latin names of the bones very often. Yeah. Uh, although someone did, so, what was it? Somebody, what was, oh, anyway. Venus Williams pulled some muscle once and no one could understand what she was pronouncing. And it was confusing for, for a press room. I was before my time, but she, she, tore, some, she with... tore some weird back muscle that no one knew what it meant. And the stories were baffling. All right, yeah, so do, yeah, let's go with, I feel good with ankle. Let's right. go ankle. We'll say ankle. Oh, yeah. Like, as you said, Achilles' weakness was the heel, which the heel bone is the calcaneus, or however you say it. Right above it is the talus bone. It, it is the ankle bone. Good work, Chris. Nice job. Uh, Having a hard time uh, <laughs> questions here. Not that, you know. Yeah. Jimmy, I assume you knew that. You're, you're good. That was my guess. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Felt reasonably sure. All right. So your bonus, unfortunately, is not anatomy related. It is an uh, art question. Uh, <laughs> James Lee Hansen's outdoor bronze sculpture, Talos Number no. 2, is located outside the historic Bank of California building in which ci- or on which city's downtown transit mall? Uh, and I'm sorry, this is my question? Is that right? Okay. Your bonus. It's my bonus, right. Okay. Which, as you, I guess, explained, only occur sometimes if they steal. Is that right? Yes. Okay. okay. Outside the historic Bank of California building on which city's downtown transit mall. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I feel like I have a couple. All right, so I think I'm getting confused. Talos, I think I, I just, in my brain, just confused with Taos, which is New Mexico, um, <laughs> which was feeling right because, you know, Bank of, Bank of California, Southwest. What is a transit mall? I mean, those, those letters are capitalized, so I guess it's just a proper noun. I am... I'm still going to go in that direction, partly because I have no other better directions to go in, and I'm going to say Santa Fe. Okay, transit mall again. Yeah, basically large lane built through downtown that's reserved for mass transit. 
And yeah, I actually, you know, I was, yeah, I was walking around it not that long ago, but I actually learned about the sculpture from Wikipedia. I didn't actually see it, but I could have, because this is the nearest metropolis to where I currently am, Portland, Oregon. Uh, but good thoughts of kicking out of just like the California. So at least you, you left the borders of the, of the Golden State there. So good work. Yeah, apparently, yeah, whatever the Bank of California was, it was big enough to spread beyond the border of its state. All right, Jimmy and Ben now to steal from Chris. The promotion known as World Championship Wrestling or WCW was created in 1988 by what man after he purchased the assets of Jim Crockett Promotions? A few years later, this man was named Time Magazine's 1991 Person of the Year, presumably for unrelated reasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I think I, I think I know this one. Thank you. I, th- I think it's I think it's I think it's Ted Turner. That would make sense. Yeah, because yeah, they certainly certainly a lot of wrestling was on his on his channels and still TNT. Is. Yep. Yep. TNT. Yeah. And um, it makes it right. I mean, he was doing a lot of stuff around that time, so it would not be crazy for time. Magazine. Was he was he was he really peaking to the, the sort of man of the year person of the year? levels in 91 i i be, i'm willing to go with this answer i just i'm just curious why 90 i guess cnn was his cnn was the really 80s, hitting stride right? yeah yeah it's coming more and more influential around then headline news probably started around 91 so yeah like and like i 24 believe, hour news cycle i'm almost certain that ted turner was associated with the wcw in some way the braves yeah. were taking shape they're doing they're mm-hmm. starting to do okay. some stuff early 90s okay I, yeah i'm good with, i'm good with that guess you you we seem to that? know it so yeah let's go with that all right let's lock in turner all right is that correct chris well, I, yeah, as much as I am following your game theory to get, always take a guess that is that is correct. <laughs> so I uh, will. Um, that was pretty much enough for, yeah, for confirmation. I figured you'd know that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, was, yeah. It worked, Jimmy. I was really, I, 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 I was pretty sure there's wrestling coming and I knew Jimmy was conversant enough in that to hopefully keep me afloat. <laughs> so I'm very happy with how that worked out. And yeah, Ben, one of Ben's favorites, Mighty Ducks 2, features a reference to another Ted Turner creation, the Goodwill Games, or I guess oh, yeah. the Junior Goodwill Games. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The Braves, I guess, won their first pennant during that streak in 91. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, their their peak was still yet to come. But of course, Ted Turner's most important creation from that period was, of course, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy and Chris now to try and steal from Ben. Although his surname is Czech, Richard Krychek became in 1996 the only Dutch player to win a Grand Slam singles title during the Open era when he triumphed at Wimbledon in a bizarre fluke year that saw four little-known players, Krychek, Jason Stoltenberg, Todd Martin, and Molly Vi Washington, reach the semifinals, while what obvious favorite fell to Krychek in straight sets in the quarterfinal round? I mean, based on year, I would... Obvious favorite would be Pete Sampras, maybe? I mean... Yeah, this is this is okay. I said I said Wimbledon, right? Wimbledon '96, Sampras. I mean that 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 That's, seems pretty I good. I mean, like other like let's just run through other possibilities. I mean, like obviously yeah. I know one Wimbledon earlier in the '90s, but I don't think it was ever as dominant to the yes. Uh, I think this was to be a an obvious that, favorite. So I think that's to... I think that's right. I'm happy to lock in with that. Yeah, All right. yeah, we're gonna say Pete Sampras. Uh, ben was kind of maybe not consciously nodding along while you were saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm pretty, yeah, 90s Wimbledon men's obvious favorite would, even if, you know, didn't know Krychek beat him, obvious favorite in the 90s Wimbledon would be Pete Sampras for sure. Yeah, between 93 and 2000, he won every single year except 96, which mm-hmm. was just a bizarre fluke when a bunch of unexpected things happened. But your bonus, Ben, although it doesn't turn out too many champions in conventional tennis, 
the Netherlands did give us what greatest ever female player of wheelchair tennis. Between 2003 and her retirement in 2013, she racked up 470 consecutive match victories without a single loss and only 18 drop sets. She won four Paralympic gold medals in singles, but in doubles, she had only a paltry three golds and a silver. Yeah, uh, Netherlands definitely powerhouse in wheelchair tennis for sure. They just have a new quad division player who's good, Sam Schroeder. But yeah, this is uh, Esther Vergeer is her is her name. This player who's got 470 wins is like tops pretty much any sort of definitely individual sport. Just keeps meaningful records. All right, good good knowledge from everyone. Everyone Good work. Good work. On that, and now we go to Ben and Chris trying to steal from Jimmy. This question again. This one has a long quote in it. It's kind of what I've called a solve for X format, but basically okay. not, uh, not algebra related. Basically, I replace a certain word or things that relate to a certain word with X, and it's your job to figure out what that word is. So here's the question. The motto of Ranger in Gordon McGibbon's Life on Normal Street, ninjas are everywhere, always could be true. After all, if you can't observe them, that just means they're very good at being ninjas. That makes it my favorite fun take on an argument famously described by Bertrand Russell as part of a reductio ad absurdum challenging the existence of God. So Russell wrote, here's the quote, many orthodox people speak as though it were the business of skeptics to disprove received dogmas rather than of dogmatists to prove them. This is, of course, a mistake. If I were to suggest that between the Earth and Mars, there is a X revolving around the sun in an elliptical orbit, Nobody would be able to disprove my assertion, provided I were careful to add that the X is too small to be revealed even by our most powerful telescopes. But if I were to go on to say that, since my assertion cannot be disproved, it is intolerable presumption on the part of human reason to doubt it, I should rightly be thought to be talking nonsense. If, however, the existence of such an X were affirmed in ancient books, taught as the sacred truth every Sunday, and instilled into the minds of children at school, hesitation to believe in its existence would become a mark of eccentricity, and entitle the doubter to the attention of the psychiatrist in an enlightened age, or the inquisitor in an earlier time. That's the end of the quote. What common household object, especially common in Britain, is X? So, yeah, quintessentially British. I do believe I know this, Ben. I don't know if you're Okay. I mean, I could guess, I can, I can guess some things. Do you want to take some, Brit- I'll, I'll some British household? No, no, no. Well, I, I'll, I'll say some stupid stuff to, you know, to, to build out the show and then you can give the right answer, which you seem to know. So uh, quintessentially British objects is what I can hone in on. I would say something along the lines of like a, a tea kettle. I believe it's just a teapot, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Teapot. Yeah. Teapot. Russell's teapot. Yeah. So. This is known as Russell's teapot. Nice. Good job, Great. Uh, you know, way to pick that. Uh, just from- <laughs> I could see that I was uh, doomed as to senses into the question as Chris was nodding away. <laughs> I do like the ninjas are everywhere thing. I've never heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. More fun version of the Holy Spirit or something. Yes. Unfortunately, all of Jimmy's questions have been stolen, but he's gotten questions from other people as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I did regret submitting those as my specialty, in part because they're not actually not actually that knowledgeable in them. And then... Ben and Chris know something about them. So it's well, you guys got my tennis question. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't honestly see that coming. So good work there. All right, Jimmy and Ben now to steal from Chris to finish out this round. The character of Patsy Walker debuted in 1944 as the protagonist of a teen humor series along the lines of Archie published by Marvel precursor Timely Comics. In 1961, Patsy was the star of the first modern comic book to bear the Marvel Comics label. In the mid-60s, she was aged up and evolved into a career girl who sought romance alongside her frenemy, Hetty Wolf, 
The character eventually outlived its popularity and lay dormant until in 1972, Steve Englehart revitalized her by reimagining her as a superhero called Hellcat. But those of us who aren't into comics first became acquainted with Ms. Walker much later in 2015, when Rachel Taylor portrayed her as the best friend, sidekick, and eventual foe of what modern superhero who debuted in Brian Michael Bendis' Alias Number no. 1 in 2001. All right. All right. We've got a chance here. I feel like. Um, <laughs> Bold use of the word we. You have a chance here. Okay. But, but talk me through your chance. Go, go for okay. it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, when I say chance, I, I literally just mean 2015 is mentioned, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's likely something we has actually, you know, come across our consciousness recently. So let's see. Maybe I'm going to focus on that okay. first. Well, we're looking for a modern superhero who debuted in Michael Bryant, Michael and Brian Michael Bennis's alias number one, 2001. So some modern superheroes. So who who would that be? I honestly could not contemplate a modern superhero unless it's like, you know, yeah. Malala. Right. Okay. I can think of okay, so so modern superheroes, I can think of a couple. Hellboy and Spawn, neither of which was created by that person, Brian Michael. Bendis. Is it wrong to think this is a woman if it's if, if Rachel Taylor's the best friend of the superhero? I would think it's kind of a okay, probably yeah. a, probably a woman. For those of who weren't into comics, first became acquainted with Miss Walker when Rachel Taylor portrayed her. Okay, so Rachel Taylor's an actress. Rachel portrayed, Taylor portrayed yes. Miss Walker as so the best, so friend best friend of what modern superhero? Sidekick and then eventual foe. Okay. Right. Okay, so that's interesting that like that's part of the storyline. I'm not familiar with. Such yeah, okay. so I think that's kind of what happens. Okay. In, like I didn't see it, but like in Wonder Woman yeah. 1984, there's like a character who becomes, this is kind of classic superhero stuff, Jimmy. You know, there's like, you know, the person who's the friend and then they become the final boss. And it's like, oh, I got to battle my mm. friend. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. This is yeah, a yeah. big comic book. The, 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 the cheetah, the cheetah storyline is what you're talking about. Yeah, right? exactly. Cheetah. Yes, um, exactly. No. Okay. Modern superhero. I mean, could it be like, um, okay, wait, let me just read the, the first bit. I hadn't really internalized that. So, okay. Patsy Walker, star of the first modern comic book to bear. Okay, so the character Patsy Walker is, is, is okay. What we're going for, the answer that we need though, is more about this modern superhero who debuted in 2001, who yeah. I think we agree is probably a woman. Okay, so what about Ooh. this? What about this reimagining her as Hellcat? Is there something there? Is it just like, is it, why do I, is it probably, um, no, no, sorry, that makes no sense. <laughs> is Hellcat helpful? Uh, maybe. I mean, is who would like someone is like a natural nemesis of a cat or a friend of a cat? Like yeah. cat, not Catwoman. Catwoman's around much, much Catwoman. before yeah, two thousand one. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Maybe someone like someone like a dog. That's sort of stupid. Um, I don't know. There's many dogs like, for superheroes in in the modern age. Uh, definitely knows this. But yes, we're take her, <laughs> aged take up her and evolved into a career girl with who sought romance. What is this? Okay. And she's um, just a young woman trying to have it all, Jimmy. That's not the important part, but that's, that's, that's standard. <laughs> right. So, all right. I, I take back what I said about us having a chance. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Just focusing on the end part is what we need. Okay. okay, okay. Modern superhero who debuted in Michael, Brian Michael Bennis's alias number one. Okay. Alias. Oh, wait, wait, alias. Wait, 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 that's not like the TV show alias, right? That's circa one. I don't think so. I don't think that's. Oh, wait, what about a 2015? I mean, portrayed. I mean, this person. Okay, like a 2015 right? movie, maybe. Yes, in or movie TV or, show. Or, or, or film. Oh, oh, oh. oh what, when was, yeah. when was, um, that, that's when, when, was, when, was, when was Jessica Jones? Okay. That was okay, probably circa that, 2015. That, that's right? good. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I, I that like, feels like that. right. I like that. I like that. female superhero. Um, yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay. I feel weird having a company guess after all okay. of that, but um, let's do, let's okay. let's yes, we're going to yep. go with Yogesh. We're going to go with Jessica Jones. After all of that, you did finally <laughs> land on Jessica Jones. Right. Good job. Good job. Good job. I mean, yeah, I was so prepped to just be like, 
an actual instance where a guess of Jones would have come through. Oh, yeah. You would have been prompted on the first name, but. Or even, yeah, a common female first name, Jessica. Yeah, my, my old roommate was named Jessica, and she has the Jessica Jones picture as her, like, Netflix profile login when you lock, turn on the, the Roku. So I see Jessica Jones's face quite a lot for someone who I've never watched. Yeah, so for, for the series, the character was called referred to as Trish Walker, which is, they're both shortenings of Patricia, but I guess that's mm-hmm. too old-fashioned. Yeah, lots of Patricias in that generation of, of women. So we'll finish off the round with a bonus for Chris. So Patsy Walker's first appearance came in the second issue of a series titled after what superhero alter ego of Madeline Joyce, who prior to a series of retcons beginning in the 1980s was canonically the mother of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Ooh, um, titled after what superhero alter ego Madeline Joyce. So I know they eventually retconned Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver to be Magneto's kids. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but in the second issue, so this would be in the... Madeline I mean, Joyce. If I look back at the previous question, it's 1944. Oh, oh, I got you. I got you. Thanks for that clarification. You know, just because it's been in the zeitgeist recently, I don't think it's correct. I'm just going to say Agatha Harkness because she's been on WandaVision, has mystical powers. But yeah, I don't think I'm going to... I'm not as familiar with the golden age 40s comics. <laughs> Yeah, Agatha Harkness was kind of the mentor of Scarlet Witch, but right. yeah, not her mother. This was yeah. this the uh, the second time this phrase has come up in this game so far. She was called Miss America. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I knew Wanda. I, I knew just from again ambient zeitgeist <laughs> that Wanda, that Scarlet Witch and WandaVision <laughs> stuff were floating around. I'll enjoy. I think is some person on there too, maybe. So um, we'll end that round. I'll, I'll recheck the, the scores, make sure I have everything right. But it looks like this was a very good round for Ben. He's leading with twelve point two. Chris, 8.0, Jimmy, 6.1. But it's still anyone's game. The point values will go up now in the only somewhat hard round. Four points for a steal, three for a specialist, two if a bonus occurs. And we'll begin with Jimmy and Chris, who steal from Ben. So the four main qualities that RuPaul looks for in a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race can be summed up by an acronym that includes the letters U, T, C, and N, albeit usually not listed in that order. (laughs) Name, let's go with any two of those four qualities. Oh boy. All right, let's come up with some reasonable guesses here. I'm going to say the you, I'm going to think uniqueness maybe. Okay. Like that's, that seems like a very, you okay. know, something that a drag queen would be a useful quality to have. What, what are things that are like, you know, swag, swagger, you know, that's sort of like words. Charisma, are... like charisma. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Charisma. Um, I might just be thinking of Dungeons and Dragons though. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like they're likely to be like fun version yeah, uh, yeah. versions of those of these words, right? Like the most fun version possible. I mean, I don't have any guesses to come out of that thought. Um, yeah. You, you is a good one because, like, how many? I mean, how many words to start with? You, um, Ooh, unique. Yeah, unique. We just need two. So, uh, you know, and like in a. So I mean, it's a performance. So there's 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 going to be like a an appearance and a performance aspect to them, okay. you know, because right. like, it's it's kind of like the unity of those two things are yeah. going to make an effective. Okay, well, you would make would make you a high quality drag queen. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm being so like uh, analytical and like clinical in my description, of <laughs> but I'm sure it's a very silly like four letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you want to say unique and uniqueness and 
charisma. I don't know. Or sure, I'm happy with that. I don't feel like yeah. I'm. You know, we're gonna get this. If it's good, yeah. If it's, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to try to like yeah. <laughs> come up with yeah. something too clever. I, I, and look. Agreed. agreed. So yeah, we'll go with yep. charisma and uniqueness. Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Yeah, very right. Wow, yeah, good work. That is crazy. Wait, yeah. did you did you just think about that, Chris, or did you do you think you've come across that before? Unique. I well, I, not to be. You're right. To, yeah, the U the U has limited options, I guess. So that yeah, was yeah. that was smart, but yeah. Maybe yeah, some yeah. sort of osmosis. You guys were on that like, very quickly. It was my heart. Yeah, my girlfriend heart does breaking. enjoy the show, but I so maybe yeah. I overheard something. Yeah. And I honestly think charisma was was just D and D. There's there's lots of viewers and even even contestants I've heard who don't understand, who don't get the joke of charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent for for many years after they've even been on the show. For you know, many times they just don't ever do the do the math or do the acrostic. (laughs) All right, Ben and Chris, let's see if you can make four straight steals from Jimmy. Thanks. Formed by the suture of its namesake cranial bone with the temporal bone just above the cheek, what arch in the human skeletal system is particularly pronounced in people who are considered good-looking? Like Olivia Wilde, you mentioned earlier. This Uh, is like cheekbones, right? Yeah, but there's a... What's the name for the arch of the cheekbone? It has a... Cheekbones also would have been a great answer for the C in... Christmas nerve talent, by the way. I've, um, I've definitely heard this, and I want to say it has like a, not like literary, like after a character, but it has you know a, a poetic or some sort of name, like the Arches of Adonis or something. Or yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That um, sounds Adonis Arch. That sounds nice. Or Arches of is there another or like famously? I'm trying to think if there's anything particularly gen like necessarily gendered about this, or if it could be applied to just yeah. anybody. I guess it could be anybody. Adonis, I feel like is more of a known for the body more than the face yeah, yeah. i guess I and mean, maybe not that adonis is a butter face i'm not trying to slander adonis right. but uh yeah i guess i would probably say i mean it could uh, just be venus or something too a know, venus like, arch Aphrodite. Could, could, could venus arch be a thing arch of venus venus or venus. Um, yeah we're just kind of coming up with something here i mean Aphrodite is a little clunky. It is more yeah. alliterative, but it's a uh, lot of these things are more like Romanized anyway, too. Like, so yeah, Venus, Venus Arch. Yeah, I, I think of Adonis as being more Greek than Roman, for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm sure he showed up. I think, well, I think places. you're pointing to the body of that being a more, more yeah, too, is kind of along our You want to say Arch of Venus or, or Venus? We'll just say Venus. Is that, yeah, that sounds, I don't have a better guess than that. We can go with that. All right. I should have better arch knowledge being in St. Louis, but there you go. <laughs> All right, we will say Venus. All right, yeah, it does say namesake cranial bone. There isn't really a bone of Venus. Oh, uh, not sure what that would even be. <laughs> Jimmy? Okay, so as I said, I regret my specialty categories. So, <laughs> but your cheekbones look great for what thank it's you, worth. Thank, thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, if you needed a visual aid on the question, you could just look at Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Well, very kind, very kind of you to say. Um, so I am going to zero in on the cranial bone piece. Uh, I do not have exhaustive knowledge of that, but I will name what I hope is a cranial bone and say parietal arch. All right, good guess. But this is the zygomatic arch. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. Oh, interesting. Gotcha. All right. Jimmy and Ben to steal from Chris now. Although some dispute this, the dividing line between the Silver Age and Bronze Age of superhero comics is often said to be a 1973 Jerry Conway scripted storyline called The Night Who Died. To this day, fans continue to debate exactly how this character died, 
although the presence of the onomatopoeic sound effect snap provides a clue. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I read the Wikipedia article for Silver Age, but I started at the beginning. I didn't get to the end. I can tell you how Golden Age ended and Silver began, but the, the next transition, less clear. All right. Um, to this day, fans continue to debate exactly how this character died, although the presence of the onomatopoeic sound effect snap. I mean, snap. I mean, snap, snap is Thanos. No? Is that right? Oh, I, yeah, sure. Well, it, I mean, that's Thanos what comes to mind. I mean, I mean, well, no, no, just, no, sorry. I just mean Thanos did a snap, right? Um, okay. I mean, at, at, in between... Um, in between, um, or before Endgame, you know, between not you know, Infinity War, Infinity, Infinity War, and yeah. Endgame. Okay, right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That, that could be a red herring because, well, so yeah, the snap is when Thanos, uh, with the Infinity Stones and the Gauntlet, snaps his fingers and eliminates fifty percent of people in the universe. Okay, were they telling uh, that same story back in seventy three? I think so. I, well, that's a good question. That's a great question. That's a good okay. point. You're, you're probably right. I do think that is post 73 i think there was a series called infinity war and i believe that's probably 80s or 90s uh, okay so you're, that's a good point maybe snap is is a red herring any and all good point i okay. it's been accidental because <laughs> the scoreboard uh, doesn't so, really show so yes. the night so so the dividing line the night who died i mean so who are some famous superhero deaths right um, i mean didn't superman like superman died yes superman got decapitated right uh i don't know if he's decapitated he's just beaten up by doomsday and he got decapitated I, I don't think it was called the night, but it doesn't debate exactly how this character died. Although the presence of an onomatopoeic sound effect snapped. The fact that we don't know how Superman died, I feel like we're yeah. debating. I feel like we're carrying <laughs> I, on the debate I, even here. I believe he was beaten up by, by Doomsday and then just, you know, just died from his wounds. I'm pretty sure. And I don't think it fits the clue. I don't think it fits the clue. Okay. okay. All right. Anyway, I don't think I, I we have... Okay, but but Silver Age heroes, right? All right, I don't know. Superhero, just we're just asking. Just well, all we need is a character who died. That's what we. Okay. That's all we need to simplify okay. that. Okay. okay. A character who died I, circa seventy three in a comic. Okay. All and right. this was I, such I, I, a thing that the comics yes. moved from second place to third and started the Bronze Age. Okay, I don't have any guesses that that fit beside you know so maybe superman is our best guess even though it doesn't fit a lot of the stuff um, like all the yoga's answers are tougher than superman yes but. yes yes uh, just to name some silver age heroes right so like hulk the flash the flash iron man flash kind of started the whole silver age thing uh-huh from the top of the wikipedia article i know that part spider-man i don't know spider-man ever died um, yeah i want to say the flash sure yeah no reason for this no reason yep i guess yep yeah, i'm getting some feedback on your on some i think it might be ben's mic oh okay yeah Anyway, so you locked in the flash? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I apologize for that unintentional mislead. I, I didn't even realize that snap has a much more common meaning nowadays in terms of comic books of heroes. But yeah, flash is a good guess, but not correct. Chris? So um, interestingly enough, since you were debating, I believe Thanos actually did first appear in 1973 too, uh, did not die. It was an issue of Iron Man, I think, around that time, but uh, did not die. And you did mention the comic book it appeared in, which was Spider-Man, but this was after being thrown by the Green Goblin, Spider-Man attempted, or Peter Parker, attempted uh, to rescue his girlfriend. Uh, and there's debate over whether she died being thrown from the fall or the snap was at the end uh, of... Uh, at the end of the web shooting, if it was a, you know, sort of gallows effect. And that was the night Gwen Stacy died. Ah, nice. Tough. Yeah. Good work. I heard of that. I should have thought a little harder. Ah, sorry. Yeah, if you saw the Andrew Garfield Emma Stone movie, that also would have been another way in. Mm -hmm. But that, One question. Yeah. But 
Chris into the lead now at the end of that cycle. And we'll go now to Jimmy and Chris trying to steal from Ben. In 1953, Maureen Connolly won single titles at all four Grand Slam tournaments, in the process dropping only one set in total across all four tournaments. In fact, she won the last nine Grand Slams she participated in, for her career was abruptly curtailed at the age of 19 when she was injured by being thrown from a horse. So her nickname when she was active, Little Mo, which was also the title of a 1978 biographical telefilm about her, is often thought to derive from her first name. However, if you could turn back time and witness the origins of that nickname, you would learn that it was actually bestowed on Ms. Connolly because the power of her drives drew comparison to Big Mo. As any Steven Seagal fan could tell you, who or what is Big Mo? Wow. Okay, a lot of clues here. If you could turn back time, that just yeah, makes that's, me that's, that's a, that's a that's, Yes, that's a clue, right? I mean, strange <laughs> wording there. That's, that's sure. a share song, right? I mean, like, yeah, but I share, don't know what the... share and Steven Seagal, like, is there, um, what is Yogesh trying to clue us into there? And, yeah, because her nickname when she was active, Little Mo, is generally thought to derive from her first name. If you could turn back time and witness the origins of that moniker, you learn that it was. Oh, and Seagal in here too. Certainly a clue, but I'm not sure to what. I don't know much about his his, his body of work. <laughs> I, I you know I've seen I've seen a few films um, under siege. <laughs> under siege, yeah, under siege. Oh no, no, he doesn't. I was gonna say. What else do we associate with Seagal? Um, Big Mo, <sighs> or any other share. So like, the power of her drives. Right. So, do you? Th- is this just another? Is this another tennis player? Like, what? What do they mean by drives? Like, what, yes, it means tennis. Yeah, shots. That yeah. wasn't meant to be cryptic. Yeah. Okay. Drive. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. So it's another tennis player. Okay. No. 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 Well. All right. What well, drew comparison to Big Mo? Who or what is Big Mo? Yeah. Is there another Mo? Is there a male tennis player that have Mo? Steven yeah. Seagal. What does Steven Seagal have to do with tennis? <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly a hint there, but I don't know that we're gonna get it. Yeah, I really. I don't um, feel like and I it. also feel like the share thing, but I don't know what the. Yeah. That this might is, just be a. Yeah. I feel like Ben's just gonna eat this up. It's gonna, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mo, 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 momentum. Yeah, okay. momentum is like the big mo in like politics i mean i I mean what right what is big mo that's the i mean i'm I'm good with momentum Momentum, i mean i've heard it referred to as that it seems kind of straightforward but okay uh, maybe maybe some meme with steven seagal and momentum okay let's just yeah yeah, you want to lock in okay we're gonna lock in we'll say momentum yep all right keep quiet about that ben i don't know this i i know i know little mo conley as being a sort of titan of 50 tennis and she got thrown off a horse and then like into a truck it was not a good day for her on the horse whatsoever and then didn't play again i've not seen the tv movie but i've heard of the tv movie uh, yeah so mo, i was also thinking kind of possibly momentum made some sense but other things that you know have power i was thinking like the i don't know some sort of motor speedway or something so i'll say i'll say that yeah, I think it is on your mic. I'm getting the feedback on. Is that anyone else? Sorry. Okay, well. Um, I'm hearing a little bit too. It's just, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Okay, I can try to change something. I think it's a little better now. I don't know if maybe your mic was, well. Yeah, maybe you're I don't know, leaning too close to it. Maybe. I don't know. I'm really bad at troubleshooting these. I can spot when things don't sound right, but I do not know how to troubleshoot them. So, uh, right. anyway. Is this yeah. any better now? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's better. Hi, this is Future Yogesh. If you're wondering why we're harping on about Ben's audio when it doesn't sound all that bad, it's because he recorded a backup track on his computer and sent it to me. And so I've spliced in some of the audio from that. Yeah, I mean, obviously this was Ben's question. Ben would have an advantage on it, but I didn't realize until he introduced himself that Chris would actually have an advantage on it as well. Chris, where, where you are, what does Mo mean? Oh, with the initials of the state. Yes, it is. The state abbreviation, yeah. Yeah, the place that Cher filmed the If I Could Turn Back Time video, the place that the film Under Siege <laughs> takes place, the USS Missouri. Missouri. Oh, the, ba- the, yeah. the battle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that video. Mm. That's tough. Yes. And it's, wow. yeah, the power of the, the guns is what's That makes mean. sense, yeah. All right, Ben and Chris now to try and steal from Jimmy. So let's say that Jimmy has reliable knowledge that Ben knows the answer to this question. Let's also say that a few seconds ago, Jimmy saw Ben pocket a Sacagawea dollar. So Jimmy comes to believe that the person who will answer this question correctly has a Sacagawea dollar in his pocket. But then let's say that Ben ends up blanking on the answer and Chris doesn't know it either. So Jimmy answers it correctly. Then Jimmy puts his hand in his pocket and discovers that unbeknownst to him, there's been a Sacagawea dollar inside his pocket this whole time. So Jimmy is absolutely right that the person who answered the question correctly had a Sacagawea dollar in his pocket. But did he know that? At this point, Jimmy realizes he is trapped inside one of the namesake hypothetical cases of what philosopher who launched himself to academic superstardom by landing a three-page article in the journal Analysis in 1963 and then never published anything ever again. Okay. I am going to say I'm not good on one-hit wonder <laughs> uh, 60s. Well, one-hit 60s, one-hit wonder is actually not a bad category for me. Yeah. In, in, the, in the psychology point of view, I mean, tough for me to come up with a good name here. Outside of the classic Smith, Johnson, Jones, you know, triad. Any, any, anything you got here, Chris? I mean, yeah, if I'm, I'm not like super deep on 20th century philosophy by any means, but I feel like most of the people I would know did not immediately seize publication <laughs> after one three-page article. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm also just lingeringly annoyed that Jimmy stole my dollar. Through yeah, exactly. How he did that, but. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the year, if there's something that happened there. The only, he's not a philosopher though. I think he dealt more is like Timothy Leary was involved in academia around that time and then moved away from it for various reasons. I mean, I'm, and I'm guessing Leary probably published things in his later days while he was um, busy smoking said paper. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I never published anything. So it's not even just like the, the journal articles. Yeah. It could also mean various acid tracts and whatnot, I suppose. Right, sure. Huh. So I, I have a feeling... This isn't going to be something we've never heard of, but... I mean, Leary is not a bad guess. If we're going by the theory, mm-hmm. this will be something we've heard of. Who's well, I'm also wondering if it's that. somebody who died, you know, you know, th- like who might be well known, but like... Oh, like a 63 a, death. So is it like... Yeah, exactly. Oswald? JFK. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> mm. Or um, who else died? You know who did die around that time kind of famously, I believe, was Huxley. But he okay. would have been, he would have been in, I, I, I wouldn't call him academic superstardom for philosophy. And, Aldous Huxley? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he died around that time as well. Yeah, I don't um, think of him as being an academic superstar per se, though. In that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so just, I mean, to kind of highlight the notability of it, I mean, the reason it's notable he hasn't published since 1960 in academia, it's supposedly published or perished, but he managed to, you know, maintain high academic reputation in spite of okay. not. Despite not publishing, so it's coasting. Okay, okay. 
This must have been a really good three pages. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a great answer here, Chris. Do you? Um, I don't even have a good answer. Great, much too high word. I don't, I don't have, yeah. I, don't have, I don't have a mediocre answer. I mean, I could name a, a philosopher or something around that time, but do a, that. or do that. Um, I don't even know if he's around that time. Let's just say Quine. Ooh, fun. Quine. It's good Scrabble score, if nothing else. All right, yeah. we're gonna Quine. Quine, uh, definitely a notable 20th century American philosopher. I think he was American, but not the one looking for here. Jimmy. Well, yeah, I want to applaud Yogesh for creating what I uh, at least take to be uh, quite a good Gettier problem. They're not always that easy to. To, to describe. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Gettier, G-E-T-T-I-E-R. Yeah, I'm not sure if he pronounced it the French way or the American way, but um, yeah, when Jacob Myers was on here, he repeatedly cited that when he uh, got a correct answer without quite necessarily knowing the, the answer to the question that was asked. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what constitutes knowledge comes up on this podcast quite a bit, I guess, implicitly, but now it's come up explicitly. You listen to more Jacob Myers episodes, clearly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, very fun thing to ask about. Hi, this is Future Yogesh with a slight factual correction. According to Wikipedia, Gettier also published a book review in 1965 and a commentary within an edited volume in 1967. He passed away in 2021. That, I think, puts Jimmy into second place now, overtaking Ben. And next question is going to be for Jimmy and Ben to try and steal from Chris. Sarah Sutherland, who played Selena Meyer's frumpy daughter on Veep, is the daughter of Kiefer Sutherland, the granddaughter of Donald Sutherland, and the great-grandfather, sorry, the great-granddaughter of Tommy Douglas, who led what polity's democratically elected socialist government between 1944 and 1961? For a polity. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do like Veep. Not much help here. Mm -hmm. Catherine's a great character. Do we know where the Sutherlands are from? Are they maybe if are they from out of the US? I mean, Kiefer doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. I don't think polity is something we have in the US. I okay. think this is like mm-hmm. a pol- polity means like political entity, right? Basically. Yeah, so, so, so if you've never if you've never played Quiz Bowl before, polity is kind of in, in ACF a sort of a generic term when they don't want to reveal mm. what kind of Yeah. Right. Whether it's a city right. or place right. or country. Yeah. So or, it could be US. It could be US. You yeah. Use, Yes, city. Okay, but I don't think we had any socialist governments between 44 and 61 in right. the U.S. So I don't that think it's sense. in the U.S. That makes sense. Okay. Elected socialist governments. Okay, so a country that had socialism but was cool with it. So yeah, Northern Europe? Uh, some. Yeah, it could be like Scandinavia. Like something along the lines of like Scotland or... Uh, okay. Kiefer. You know. Yeah, Kiefer. That reminds me of Keir, who's that uh, Keir Starmer, who's in the U.K. But that's completely, you know, maybe different <laughs> okay um i do like the idea not to sort of parse this word too much but like the yeah. idea that polity is something that's like not it's, it's tough to define politically is used as sort of a catch-all word so i kind of like the idea of scotland or equivalent to that like a, a northern mm. ireland or sure a, sure um a scotland or a wales yeah democratically you think okay although i mean i i know that the sort of scottish parliament is a relatively recent development they even have one of those yeah, I'm not sure how much like home yeah. rule and also mid world, I mean, also mid world war two to get a new government. I don't know. I guess there were still elections during world wars and stuff, but interesting time for, you know, there'd be a, a change in hands of something in Europe. Well, Tommy Douglas, I guess the name would vaguely fit. So I'm happy with, I guess, something like Scotland. Okay. I'm okay. With yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Sure. We'll go Scotland. All right. Yeah. I'm not sure Scotland has had self-government 
definitely not in the 40s. I don't know yeah. if it's really self-government now, but good guess. Chris? Yeah, um, geez, whew. Not maybe should have picked this category to go down, but uh, I think um, I, I want to. I'm thinking this is Canadian actually, but like at the provincial level versus like a city or lower level, just because the years seem odd in a parliamentary system, I think it's more likely to end up that you would have an election like this in an off year. I've heard this name, so I'm just trying to place and thinking about the politics of Canada, I'm kind of drawn to like either British Columbia or Ontario at like the provincial parliamentary level, you know, I'm going to say British Columbia. All right. Good guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought it was relatively well known that Donald Sutherland was Canadian and that Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland, I think, I don't think he was born in Canada, but he definitely grew up there. Yeah. 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 And so so Tommy Douglas, I think when there was that fad for like each country doing it, like, I think it started with 100 greatest Britons and then 100 greatest blah, blah, blah. So Tommy Douglas actually topped the list of 100 greatest Canadians. He's, He's very Saskatchewan. He came up with Canadian Medicare. Is that what it is? Yes. And uh, yeah, you're locked in British Columbia, but you figure it out now. It's Saskatchewan. Uh, oh, that's good. We're much closer yeah. than us, Chris. Yeah. yeah. By an ocean and several maritime provinces and else more. I should have yeah, teased that out a little more. Oh, well. At the end of that cycle, Chris is still in the lead, but the gap is much narrower between everyone. And now Jimmy and Chris to try and steal from Ben. Ukraine's Jamala won the 2016 Eurovision Song Contest with a downbeat ballad about the Surgunlik, which is the 1944 forced deportation and ethnic cleansing of more than 190,000 members of what specific ethnic group? Note that your answer must contain two words, so not just a one-word answer. Um, 1944, forced deportation, specific ethnic group, and... The artist is from Ukraine. That the word Sergunlik has two umlauts in it. Any? Uh, I mean, what kind of? Do you have any specific ethnic ethnic cleansing? I mean, the the big you know, the big sort of recurring persecuted group would be Romani people, uh-huh. of course, um, you know, Jewish people as well. But um, yeah. I feel like the is there some specific subset of Romani? Two words. I don't know of any. And something, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I certainly don't have an etymolo- etymological in based on the uh, Sergunlik. Yeah. Um, the only two word specific thing I can think that is even around that area would be like uh-huh. Russian. Okay. For Belarusian. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I, I don't really like that answer. I just don't know that I yeah. have a, a knowledge that's going to yeah, help I don't, me in anything I really else here. Pretty useless on um, this. So how does Ser- Serbian, is there anything? Some... Yeah, I mean, those are like, I, I don't, I can't think of a specific two word yeah, yeah, associated yeah. thing with any of those. Okay. So I don't know, just want to lock in white Russian. Sure. Not give Ben any yep. more time to think and get yep. up. Yep. <laughs> he get it over with, get it over right. with. Yeah. We'll say white Russian. All right. Decent cocktail, but not a correct answer. <laughs> ben? All right. So yeah, this was uh, definitely a, a timely sort of protest song that Jamala entered in 2016 that was meant to very transparently be a sort of complaint about Russian continued interference in Crimea, which was, and so harking back to this 1990, 1944 incident or, you know, event, big, big 
section here for 1944, by the way, um, the, the deportation, ethnic cleansing of, I think the answer you're looking for is the Crimean Tatars. I think she's saying in that language as well, part of the song, one of my least favorite Eurovision winning acts in recent of the century, but uh, fond of it at this moment for giving me some points. Hopefully. Yeah. If, if you listen to this, the second episode of the podcast, I think I asked about in 2009, George's attempt to enter a song called we don't, we don't want, want a Putin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want yeah, there's, there's a, there's a big history of, of, of obviously geopolitics in, in Eurovision and especially in that sort of region of the world now and the next year's Russian entry, which, cause you, the country that wins hosts the next year. And so next year's country was host, next year's contest hosted in Ukraine and the Russian contestant, Yulia Samoylova was not allowed to enter Ukraine because she had performed in Crimea during the time of what Ukraine saw as the unlawful occupation. So yeah, so there's a lot of recent geopolitics in Ukraine. And actually, then keep blabbing on with this, like three years later, Jamala was a panelist on the selection contest for the 2019, I want to say, Ukraine Eurovision entry. And she sort of like put the contestants to this like on stage like loyalty test. Like, she, like the person finished their question and she was like, I have a very important question for you. Crimea is Ukraine? And the person, the sort of like Russian sympathizing singer, Maruv, who wound up winning the televote, but later was later pulled out and or was sort of kicked out for not being sufficiently passing the Jamala's Ukrainian loyalty test. So wild scenes in, in Ukrainian Eurovision. All right. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. That was very interesting information. And uh, it pulls Ben by two tenths of a point into the lead. Wow. Ben and Chris now to try and steal from Jimmy. The whistleblower whose claims eventually brought down Elizabeth Holm and her Theranos bubble, not Thanos, Theranos, was initially disbelieved and disowned by his own grandfather, who sat on Theranos' board. Name that grandfather, an economist, diplomat, and longtime Republican functionary who held major cabinet positions under both Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. Is this her? Go ahead. Is it Baker? Which first name? Uh, I, I knew about this. My sister read this book and was tell- the, the bad blood and was telling me about mm-hmm. this person specifically. I don't know if she actually named his name. So apologies if you did, Maria, and I just don't pay close enough attention. Yeah, somebody not so economist, diplomat, and longtime Republican functionary. So, so economist, so it's not like cabinet positions are Nixon and Reagan. Yeah, Baker, so who would Baker be that would fit? James Baker was, uh, um, I mean, he's certainly was a diplomat and Republican functionary. He was definitely in Reagan's cabinet. Okay. Um, he was an economist, probably? That's what I'm not. I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but I, I don't associate him as okay. an economist as much. Is someone who's still alive? Because I think this is someone who's obviously... Yeah. I mean, I mean this person's like pretty, really pretty geriatric. Yeah. Um, Baker, Baker's still alive, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I'm just trying to think if there's any other on the economist one, try not to rush into there. Cause like who else? So I mean, economist Paul Volcker, but then uh, I don't think he, he was a Republican functionary and a uh, laugher, but I don't think was ever in the cabinet. Okay. You, you, you came up bigger pretty quickly in a way that sounded. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of other, I remember, I remember hearing some names around the board. I think like Henry Kissinger was also on that board, but yeah, I thought of Kissinger too, but. He's not an he's not an economist. Not an economist. And also, was out of power by the time Reagan was. In, he was not involved with Reagan at all. Okay, as far as I'm aware. So I'm I'm good with Baker. I okay, think. you want to say Baker? Sure. Right. Let's lock that in. We'll lock in Baker. All right. This is maybe I'm starting to feel a little guilty about long turnaround times because I'm I'm right now editing episode twelve. So probably by now I should have put out episode fourteen. In episode fourteen, there's a 
question where I do, in fact, ask about Jim Baker's granddaughter, who is a stand-up comedian, uh, very funny, has largely turned her back on her family's politics. But uh, yeah, so, you know, Jim Baker was uh, a long-time Republican functionary, did hold multiple cabinet positions with multiple presidents, and has a notable grandchild, but is not the person I'm asking about now. Okay, so I will just go ahead and lock in with Schultz, but, but also remark that as you were starting this question, I was trying to remember who wrote Bad Blood, and I almost feel like that author's name is Baker, but that may be wrong. Anyway, that's not what you're asking about, and I'm going to lock in with, with Schultz. <laughs> yeah, I think the author is something like, it's either Carrie or Carrie Rue. Carrie yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so George Schultz, um, yeah, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of State, one of the few people to hold three different cabinet positions, and the correct answer to this question. Very good. Thank you. And now the lead is again, seesawing back and forth. Now it's Jimmy in the lead by a very narrow margin, and we will end the round with Jimmy and Ben trying to steal from Chris. So here's your right. question. You know the category. Looking forward to it. The Special guest referee for WWF, the main event three on February 23rd, 1990, was originally scheduled to be Mike Tyson. However, less than two weeks before the actual event, Tyson was scratched from that role and replaced by whom? Okay. All so right. my, my immediate thought is that is this when Tyson lost to Buster Douglas? And could this mm-hmm. be, would Buster Douglas winning make Tyson like not want to show up? In, in the ring and maybe yeah. it was just Buster Douglas. I mean, I mean, also, I mean, <laughs> plenty of reasons for Mike Tyson to be dropped from a broadcast lineup in, in various points in this, in this era. But that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, during this time, they were trying to bring in as many celebrities as possible of mm-hmm. various sorts. Right. I'm just trying to remember what other still are, aren't they? Maybe. Yeah. I, I Buster Douglas, it, it might that may have been the triggering event in in terms of pulling out Tyson, but don't know if we want to say that he's. Who... So give us a specific date, February twenty third, nineteen ninety. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering uh, what was happening in the world around then. Yeah. Also, that maybe could have. I mean, it's not like <laughs> I don't think it'd be like Schwartzkopf or something. That's a little early for that too. So I know Mr. T. You know, Mr. T was pretty wrestling adjacent, right? He, I think he did. Yeah, he definitely appeared in the WWF at some point. Yeah, but there's no reason I don't associate him with with Tyson or with 1990 specifically. Okay. I don't know. That, I, Buster Douglas just popped my mind because it'd be sort of the obvious causation of like this yeah. event that happened around then that would yeah would lead to to a, a lineup card change. If like the World Heavyweight Champion suddenly is not the person who we booked. Three yeah. weeks ago or whatever. I, you know, I don't have a better guess, so I'm I'm happy to go with that if you want to go with that. Okay, I don't have a better yeah. guess either. Not that it's any yeah. good necessarily. So yeah, okay. I'll say Buster Douglas. Okay. Gosh. Yeah, you uh, follow the breadcrumbs in the question exactly. Good job. Good job. Correct. Well All right. Buster Douglas is correct. I believe Mike Tyson was invited to be guest referee later matches in the decade. Yeah. But... Right. Yeah. They don't book people before a prize fight. I guess if if you care about the result, is basically the the lesson here. And especially when you don't control the outcome like wrestling. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, uh, yeah, we're making pretty good time here. We're ending that round, the um, only somewhat hard round with the scores at Jimmy in the lead with 20.1, Ben right behind at 19.2, and Chris not that far behind at 15.0. And now we go to the super hard round. The questions are intended to be harder. We'll see if that's the case. 
Uh, now worth six points as a seal, five as a specialist, three as a bonus. There are only a few bonuses here, so it may not come up, but we'll see. But we'll begin again with Jimmy and Chris to try and steal from Ben. The following is excerpted from a Vulture interview with what actress best known for, I'm trying to think, actually, I, I'm not sure how much to give away here. Um, let's just say best known for a 2010 sitcom role and possibly for other things depending on what your tastes in television are. So the following is an excerpt from a Vulture interview with what actress, probably best known for a 2010 sitcom role. Question, your grandmother was a professional tennis player who won Wimbledon. Is it true she tried to groom you to follow in her footsteps? Answer, yeah, a lot of my uncles on my mother's side ended up becoming tennis teachers, and I went to tennis camp for like a week in the summer with my grandma every year. I just had no talent for it. But my name means, well, obscurely means hawk in Hebrew. And so my grandmother would greet me at the airport with a giant picture of a hawk as if she's my driver. She called me the hawk. I had my tennis name already, didn't have any of the talent, just a nickname. Question, did you have any desire to be a professional tennis player? Answer, not a bit. I am a profoundly uncoordinated and completely non-athletically oriented person. I only work out now because there is threat of public nudity. And since I took away one hint, I'll add in one other hint. This, this person was not asked about on the episode I just did where I was a contestant with Troy Meyer and Victoria Gross, but she could have been because one of my specialty topics was redheaded actresses. Hmm. Okay. All right. So we've got name means hawk in Hebrew. Redheaded actress. Redheaded actresses. I mean, they're on the, on a 2010s sitcom. Right. So, um, 2010 sitcom. I mean, the one redheaded actress I'm thinking of would be Ellie Kemper. She's actually from St. Louis, but I think they're, I don't know that that, I don't know the tennis background for any of that. I think um, they're, they're like a, they're a banking family. What's Uh, what's, what's the comment set? Well, she was on The Office. She was also on um, Kimmy Schmidt. Um, Oh, okay, okay. But like, what are some other sitcoms of the 2010s that could plausibly be... I believe the person in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is a redhead, but I don't even know her name. So, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, uh, Ellie Kemper, Ellie meaning hawk in Hebrew. Yeah, I'm just like totally blanking on thinking of other um, sitcoms even that would fit this. Yeah, I can't think of any with redheaded actress. And yeah, I don't think Ellie or because the in terms of like Jewish sitcom Broad City comes to mind, but neither of them are redheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really nobody on, I mean, I, I guess, depending on what you want to call a sitcom, nobody on, on Girls was a redhead mm. of the main um, stars. Anyway. Yeah. So, and I, I don't suppose you have deep knowledge of former Wimbledon <laughs> winners to, to, to pull on mm, here. I do not. On that thread. Yep. Obviously not a, uh, um, who else is on like, trying to think of what nobody on like the big bang theory or anything like that is a redhead that i can think of no um, the penny actress is uh what kaylee cuoco or something right and um maya bialik yeah yeah any other sitcoms that are two and a half men um i don't think that's i'm happy to just go with kemper I all right yeah, yeah. well yeah, I don't think we're going to stumble on it through any of these paths, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll lock in with Ellie Kemper. 
Okay, yeah, that's a, a very good guess. I actually hadn't thought about that as a possibility, but yeah, I mean, certainly very plausible. As you mentioned, her, her family is extremely rich coming from the, the St. Louis area, but I don't believe there are any tennis champions in her lineage. Nope. <laughs> All right, Ben? Uh, yeah, I do not think I know this. Grandmother won Wimbledon. I mean, odds are, I mean, I don't know, some 25% chance they have the same last name, but I don't even think that's, there's a lot of Wimbledon winners who would be potentially grandma age for an actress who I would not be especially aware of, especially if it's like a one-time person. So I really don't know and kind of also have to go off of redhead sitcom actress there. And I don't think this name sounds Jewish, but I will say Alison Hannigan. Yeah. Maybe the other thing that might've been a hint is the statement about public or, you know, nude, basically someone, you know, who does nude scenes, which oh should orient you toward a more kind of adult oriented comedy series or, you know, more, more kind of risque rather than kind of a network sitcom or something like that. But um, the clue I took out when I realized Chris was a, you know, a fan of superheroes, I thought maybe he might be watching the Amazon series, The Boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, um, what's, is it the, the woman who is in, who's Homelander? I can't think of her name, but. Is it Shu? Yeah, Elizabeth Homelander. Uh, no. Yeah, so, I mean, ironically for someone with, I think, Jewish roots playing a character who is. Oh. Yeah, yeah, who's a neo-Nazi. And she was also on that, uh, that FX series that I can't recall the name of, but that's the sitcom, yep. It was called You're the Worst, and it's named Aya Cash. Yes. Actually, it's uh, funny you mentioned Elizabeth Shue, Jimmy, because Elizabeth Shue at one point did try for some reason to start a professional tennis career, like huh. in her 20s or late 20s or 30s or oh. something. She was like, I really love tennis. I want to try this. And she was not a professional caliber player, but we all appreciate her trying. Very, yeah. very fun fact. In case it ever comes up, Aya Cash's grandmother was named Pauline Betts. Oh, Pauline Betts. Yeah. Addie. Betts Addie. Yeah. yeah I know, I know of her. Yeah. But I would not have pulled that. That's, that's tough. Yeah, she won multiple U.S. championships back when the, it wasn't a U.S. Open championship, and she won Wimbledon in 1946. Hmm. All right, Ben and Chris now to try and steal from Jimmy. Analyzed in detail in Ludwig Wittgenstein's Philosophical Investigations, the apparent paradox created by first-person sentences like, it is raining, but I believe that it is not raining, or similarly, it is raining, but I do not believe that it is raining, is named after a certain philosopher, the same philosopher who inspired the name of the protagonist of Tom Stoppard's absurdist play, Jumpers. I would define it as a good thing if you could tell me his name. Hmm. Well, that's definitely a clue. <laughs> Jeez. I would define it as a good thing. So what could that be? Like bone, like a French, you know, what's oh. good thing in French? Bon shows would be a good thing in French. I don't know if that's really... Uh, or, but I mean, if also got define it. Oh, it could also be, could be like a Webster or something. Define it, you know. Oh, I, you're focusing on define a lot. Like, I don't know. I think it's more about just like it probably is a synonym for good thing. It's more than it being a dictionary name. I would, th- I would think, guess. That's, that's maybe. Although define, yeah, is interesting. Like if it's something a dictionary adjacent or dictionary not adjacent, like Webster. Mm-hmm. Um, Webster's a fun protagonist name. Only Tom Top. Yeah, I don't know about Tom Stopper. He did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, I think. Yeah. That's, that's all I really um, know for him. Did Arcadia. Like, but yeah, yeah, I don't know the name of his. I don't know Jumpers. The prota- yeah, the protagonist of Jumpers for anything. It is raining, but it's named after a certain philosopher, the same philosopher who inspired the name of the protagonist. Well, 
I mean, this so this is someone who predates Ludwig Wittgenstein. So there's not a lot of current Ludwigs out there. It's not. I mean, I haven't checked the German baby names. Let's probably don't feel like Ludwig is is really a trendy name. I mean, Wittgenstein was like the 20s. Yeah. yeah, Okay, so 20s. Okay, so someone. Oh yeah, yeah. Someone relatively. I mean, I mean, it could be someone like really old. Like we're talking like an ancient type person, or you think it's uh, um, someone more modern than that? Um, we've been honing on that. I believe I, I would guess it was someone not that like more, not a, maybe not a contemporary, but the prior, I know Wittgenstein did a lot of, well, we already had Russell come up, so it's not going to be that, but like he, he, uh, did a lot of looking into like, uh, Bertrand Russell's work, but yeah, this, I'm just trying to think if there's any other than the define it as a good thing. I don't see a lot of ins. Um, yeah. It's a bon something, burger, but, but good thing. I mean, French is just like a you know quality. What are other synonyms for good thing? Like you know, bonus. No, that's not really a good thing. I don't. Know, I feel like Jimmy knows this and we're wasting his time. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'm going to come up with a, a great answer. If you want to name a philosopher from that, from if you want to name an, a, an 18th century or 19th century philosopher, that'd be Grant, and I'll, and I'll go along with you. Uh, I mean, I think we're better off trying to get a, a name like something off of good thing if to be honest. So what did you okay. say that was? Bon. Bon, bon. In French, it's just literally bon shows. All right. Yeah, let's go with that. That's not really a name or not, but yeah, we'll go, we'll go bon shows, Yogesh. All right. I guess if you, if you don't know the names of philosophers, I guess that's a decent path to go down, but it's not correct. Jimmy? I do not know the answer to this. Um, I've been thinking and nothing is really clearly uh, a good answer. I also don't know what define as a good thing means here. It's like it's some sort of ethical stance where something about some maybe if just trying to hint about some philosopher who did work in ethics, like what counts as a good thing, definitely a good thing. So someone like Kant comes to mind, but I don't, I don't think Wittgenstein is really responding to Kant here. So I'm just going to pick a name that is relatively unique and from you know, the Vienna circle around that time. I'm not really familiar with the details of any of these people's work. So I'm thinking I'm going to debate between. Gottlieb Frege and Rudolf Carnap. Carnap is a little bit more of an interesting name, which could be used in a play. Let's go with Carnap. All right. I mean, I think you landed on kind of the, the basic issue there, right? How to, how to define the good. On this podcast, it's very easy to define the good. A correct answer is good. But outside of little narrow worlds like that, it becomes much more difficult to define what counts as good. And of course, in the 20th century, who was the philosopher who really wrote about ethics kind of the defining work about how to define what's good. Um, Moore? J.E. Moore? V.E. Moore. Ah, you're right, Ben. I should have just gone with a philosopher. <laughs> yeah. Well. I'm sure Balshows did great work wherever he is. <laughs> or she, or she. Good question. All right. Jimmy and Ben now to try and steal from Chris. Bodybuilder Chris Chavis, who per Wikipedia is a member of the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina, entered the WWF in 1991 and soon adopted what ring name from a Lakota word meaning buffalo? This may not sound like a movie question, but it kind of is. Okay. Okay. Um, tribe, North Carolina. I mean, the movie connection here, right? It's interesting. Yeah, so Lakota word meaning buffalo, that would be known in movies is what we're really looking for here. Yeah, right. It's a good way of summing it up. Well, Geronimo is in movies, but I think Geronimo's Apache. Yeah, um, I don't think that means buffalo yeah, either. Yeah. Dakota word meaning buffalo. I mean, is it, is it like, I don't know why, but like 
first thing that came to my mind for some reason was Fargo, which I don't think is a good. I mean, well, it kind that, of is. I mean, I mean, the, the kind of is maybe doing a lot of work for how tangential this is, but that's, that's yeah. I think I mean I Lakota, Lakota Sioux associated with that area, right? the Dakotas. Yeah, Lakota Dakota. Yeah, I think of it as being. I'm probably wrong to think of it as being interchangeable geographically. I'm sure there's yeah not totally coterminousness there. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, that's that's I think our best guess right now. Movie question. But yeah. is there something that's more like I don't think Fargo is a very good name for a wrestler. I mean, like yeah, agreed. So I mean, what's something that's like sort of like tougher sounding, like something that sounds more like you know warrior-ish, or if it's like a I don't know a, something a Native American involved movie like Dances with Wolves or something like that, or yeah, or just something or Buffalo. Buffalo just means big. I mean, pro- Buffalo. I mean, probably something that maybe we associate with big. Although I don't. Again, I don't know that how many Lakota loan words we have in English. So it'd be something we would really use frequently. Also, Fargo kind of, now that I say it out loud, repeatedly, I bet it was named for something dumb, like it's a ways away, so it's far to go mm, or something. Mm, mm. Um, maybe not, though. I don't know. They did name a lot of places back then, so they did some dumb things. But yeah, I don't have a better guess than Fargo. Uh, yeah, even I, mean, I don't it, love that guess. Not coming up with anything. Yeah, okay. So want to lock that in? Sure. All right. Yogesh, we will say Fargo. Yeah, Fargo, I, I believe, was named after one of the founders of Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, yeah. Okay, well, that's it. Yep. Yeah, so, fear uh, into into people's hearts. Yep. So you did mention the movie. I don't remember specifically how it comes up contextually in the movie, but it is from Dances with Wolves. Mm. I actually saw. I was at a late 1991 WWF at that point house show that was in St. Louis, coincidentally, where this person wrestled one of their first professional matches wow. before adopting the stage name Tatanka. Oh wow! Wow, nice. A ring name, I, I guess. Stage name. I have heard that name. <laughs> is a house? Is that, is a house show literally in someone's house? No, it's That's just probably a very dumb question. In the in the in the time before, like it was saturated on cable, and there were pay per views monthly and stuff like that. It's just what they called like the touring shows that didn't get like the big pay per view air air treatment. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So the movie about the Lakota Sioux that came out in '90 and won the Best Picture Oscar in '91 was Dance with Wolves. And okay. Yeah, if you've actually seen it, which I guess now it's kind of receded in the cultural memory a bit, but it was a huge hit at the time, kind of the scene where he begins to start learning the language by learning the word for Buffalo, Tatanka. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm happy to have at least said the word Stance of the Wolves. And I, 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 give, mm-hmm. I, give, my, I give myself partial credit, even if not yep. as well. <laughs> All right, Jimmy and Chris now to try and steal from Ben. Buck's Fizz is a variation on the mimosa consisting of two parts champagne to one part orange juice. Bucks Fizz, without the apostrophe, is a band probably best known in the U.S. for unsuccessfully recording What's Love Got to Do With It before Tina Turner made it her own. In the U.K., however, they are remembered for winning the 1981 Eurovision Song Contest and especially for a memorable piece of choreography during the contest that likely played a key role in their victory. Specifically, while performing Making Your Mind Up, the two male members of the group did what to the two female members of the group? Oh boy. Um. So memorable piece of choreography in the early eighties. Is that limbo? I mean, what, what can be done choreographically here? I mean, I like the, yeah, like that it can be articulated like simply I'm thinking, you know, like right. you could wheelbarrow somebody <laughs> or, uh, you know, hold them and swing them around. There's a lot yeah. of variations that just, I, I mean, while that, I guess, would be memorable, I don't know why that would secure yeah, victory. Yeah, yeah. It has to be pretty, <laughs> pretty unique, right? Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say think of, like, throw up in the air and some kind of, 
obviously that's, that's pretty generic. And 81, I don't know if that would, like, I mean, that, that's about when the, that, the royal wedding happened between Charles and Diana, but I have no idea how that could uh, <laughs> influence this um, at all. <laughs> Jeez, well, I don't know what, if there's any specific notable choreographic. Oh, go ahead. Throwing up in the air and catching another person, juggling, juggling of some sort. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's crazy ideas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be something along the line, like some sort of, well, obviously physical, but like some sort of maneuvering that is. Saw in half, saw in half, you know, I don't know. Just thinking outside the box here. And what would, what would be so, I don't know. What would just be so amazing and shocking that they would. Yeah. Yeah. Both of this. And making your mind up. I, don't, I mean, that might just be a total right. herring to go down, but like, because it's just what the song Con, is. Conjoin. <laughs> you did what? Saw in half. <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, okay. I'm, yeah, if, if, if puzzling through it anymore isn't going to be, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy to just lock in. <laughs> we'll do, uh, yeah. Like throw will, up in the air? Throw up in the air or something? What do you, what do you want to that just i seems, i, I can't think that that's yeah yeah, yeah. But like magically so, um, you know magically sawing a half or something okay yeah okay do you want to do that or do you just want to go more like generic of like make disappear like make you know like sure make magic. disappear that's good yeah, make yeah. disappear is good let's make go with that. disappear through illu- magic yeah illusions illusion yeah. yep okay yeah not sure if ben was looking away from the camera to think or to hide his facial expression mostly to hide my facial expressions <laughs> i was just wondering how they would be conjoined on stage i didn't know what sort of what sort of surgical operation could happen in the course of a three-minute Eurovision saw that would be, lead to the women being conjoined well, i mean but, you know if it happened they'd win it would be memorable i don't know if you'd win but it'd be memorable at least uh, although being memorable and winning it usually goes hand in hand at Eurovision. But yeah ben so my, yeah so this is sort of probably the most famous of the sort of Eurovision tropes of costume changes of some kind, which are a key gimmick that get put into the, the trying to be memorable and getting as much many stumps as you can fit in a three minute song. And there's a line in making your mind up where they go, sometimes some of you don't care less. And if you want to see some more and they pull off the women's skirts to reveal like sort of short mini dresses, basically so mm-hmm. skirt removal. Yeah. So there's there, no wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, there's a, uh, a Facebook group I'm in. It's similar to the Only Connect Questions one, but it uses questions based on the format of, of Richard Osman's House of Games. And one of them is like where you try and you have a category and then you try and clue things using words that have the same first letter as the title. So like if it were like, I don't know, Ryan Gosling movies and the clue is like troubling banking shenanigans for the big short. Mm. But I'll never forget someone had a category of Eurovision Song Contest winners and the clue was mercifully yellow minis underneath for making. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah. They basically did rip off their skirts to reveal shorter skirts underneath. Nice. All right. Then, and Chris now to try and steal from Jimmy. Microsoft was originally formed to produce Altair Basic, an interpreter for Basic that ran on the Altair 8800 microcomputer and was distributed by that computer's manufacturer, Micro Instrumentation and Telemetry Systems, MITS. Because they had moved to the city where MITS was headquartered, Bill Gates and Paul Allen actually founded Microsoft, not as is commonly taught in the state of Washington, but rather in what city? 
I'm looking for a city. Okay, so not in the state of Washington, but in what city? I mean, the thing that jumps to is just the abbreviation there in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's exactly what I was um, thinking. MIT. And I mean, it would make sense that there would be other other tech, fo- you know, tech adjacent folks and stuff there. Yeah, yeah, I like that answer um, a lot. I don't know if that's almost too obvious for this round. Is my sort of fear, but yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I like we can scan for some other ins, but it's like even. You know, that's that's just something to pin on versus. Yeah, I guess the only my only, my only hesitation on on Cambridge, which I think is a good answer. I've been there a bunch. My friends live there. Is that maybe it's not an issue, but it's almost like too close to the name of MIT. Like you almost like not that they had search engine optimization back in those days, really. But like, would you want to name a business MITS if it was going to compete with the always bigger MIT? But maybe it's sort of a um, an, an homage to. Because micro-instrumentation and telemetry systems feels a little bit forced. It's like a possible backronym. So I'm good with I'm good with Cambridge, Massachusetts. If I'm just trying know. to like think of any other and like not even that it would be an in like Altair is as a, as a yeah. star. Yeah. But that doesn't unless it's like where it's more yeah. there's a telescope. But that seems yeah. like but a it's very a, but it's, 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 it's a tech it's a tech city or tech tech yeah. friendly city. Yes, yeah, so I feel good about. It. Okay. Yeah, we'll lock in with Cambridge, Mass. All right, I'll keep quiet about that and pass it to Jimmy. All right, so I'm 99.5% sure of my answer here. I'm really thankful that there really, I don't think was an in on this. I'm going to lock in with Albuquerque. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. now is when you want to be looking at New Mexico. Nice. Pirates of Silicon Valley, not a great movie, but uh, a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that that, that blower would make it on somebody's movie poster. Not a great movie, but a movie. Yeah, so basically, all the three of you have each gotten your last three own questions, so you've basically been trading the lead back and forth, but it's Jimmy in the lead for now. And this question is going to be for Jimmy and Ben to try and steal from Chris. Alan Moore originally developed Watchmen as a vehicle for a line of superheroes whose IP was acquired by DC in 1983 from a rival publisher that had peaked during the Silver Age and eventually went out of business in the 80s. Indeed, many Watchmen characters have clear antecedents in superheroes developed by this company. The Comedian as Peacemaker, Night Owl as the Ted Kord version of Blue Beetle, Ozymandias as Thunderbolt, and Rorschach as Question. So name that company, which was founded in the 1940s by John Santangelo Sr. and Ed Levy. Oh boy. We are looking for a company, a a a company that published comic books on Atomists in the 40s. Or no, yeah. that went out of business in, in the, the 80s. 80s. Okay, my like was acquired by DC. Yeah, right. So it ran from the 40s to the 80s. Definitely think Chris knows this. Definitely think I don't. Yep, I, I don't have much here. I mean, just thinking about comic book publishers, right? So yeah. Obviously, DC Marvel. I mean, I I, I did watch a, a YouTube last night in preparation. Oh. Uh, yep, and uh, a couple new ones were mentioned that I sure, oh okay that, that part doesn't help the forgetting doesn't help so the icon, I'm excited by YouTube I, icon titan you know so these publisher atlas I, atlas something maybe could be although again like not from the MIT confusion line of thinking it didn't work last time or maybe it should have led us away from Cambridge to not that we ever would have went up in Albuquerque but um yeah I feel like if you're a publishing company named Atlas, you should make atlases. That's just that's just my thought. Yeah, um, t- Titan, Atlas, Icon, those words are coming to me for some reason, maybe completely off base. I don't know, if you don't have anything else, we just pick one of those. Yeah, words. pick one of those. I, I, okay. I, I can't steer anywhere smart okay. here, so just All right. trust All right. you. Okay, well, let's, let's go with Atlas. All right, decent guess. I think you, you knew it was a low percentage one. 
So it's not surprising it's not correct. Chris? Yeah, Atlas was actually a, a previous name for Marvel Comics. Ah, so, um, okay. So that's probably where you came across it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I, I know this, and it's also a little, so you know, to lift the veil, the three of us are also in a private rundle in Learned League. And I believe this was an answer that came up earlier what? this season in Learned wow. League. And Jimmy was the only one to get it right in that. <laughs> uh, not not a, the, the name is the same. Uh, Whitehall? Uh, so Charlton, Charlton, ah, Comics, I believe okay. is the... Uh, is what you're looking for here? Wow. Yeah, I, I think it was founded as something like Two Charles because both of the founders had a son named Charles, so it was originally called something like Two Charles. Somehow that evolved into Charlton, which is the name it's best known by. Nice, good work. nice. Yeah. And good private rundle. Yeah, <laughs> shout out there. Yeah, Jimmy, yeah. You took a handful of things only one of us got right. Yeah, Jimmy getting the British soccer question still yep. impresses me and boggles my mind, but good work there. <laughs> yeah, so the previous episode that I recorded, the all soccer one would have been where either of the Charlton's would have come up, but although it did, yeah. did happen to come up in that game, but. Uh, um, can I get up just really quick? I'm gonna use the restroom to, this This is a good breaking point for that. Sure. I'll do this, I'll do this time. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off mid-sentence there, hopefully, but resume. All right, is everyone ready? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, we're saying something with the Charlton's when we stop, if you wanna finish that thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was basically saying I just, I hadn't made the soccer connection, but then I, when you, you made it, I was like, oh, and I just, previous episode I did was all entirely soccer. There's nothing coincidence, nothing more than that. But so we're now entering the final cycle of the game. Basically, each of you will get one more specialist question, two more chances to steal. And this game is almost bizarrely neck and neck because when you entered this round, Chris was about five points behind Jimmy and Ben, and he's answered one more question than the rest of you so far. So we're at Ben 24.2, Jimmy 25.1, Chris 25.0. Wow. Wow. The, the points are, the point something is making a difference here. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I have not seen a game this close entering the final cycle. I just say, I'm just, I'm just thrilled to be in double digits. I did not expect to be contending in any way today. So wherever this goes to my sort of gold, silver, or bronze age comic medal at the end, I will be happy. All right. So these last questions, they're a, a little long and a little more possibly cryptic than the other ones. We'll see how they play. All right, Jimmy and Chris, first up to steal from Ben. So again, I'm going back into my autobiography for this. Since it's my podcast, I get to do that. In 2005, shortly after I graduated from college, my family and I visited LA where I was about to start film school at USC. We stayed with some extended family in the area. And one evening they took us to P.F. Chang's for dinner. While we were there, my father recognized a certain celebrity standing in the very long waiting line. My father implied that he would like to approach this celebrity as a fan, but didn't want to do so alone. So I accompanied him and we had a brief conversation with this man who was very nice to us. So given that my father, as far as I know, has virtually no exposure to even the most mainstream aspects of gay culture, and also knowing that this question has to fall into Ben's one remaining category this round, and might even cross over a little bit with one of his other categories, can you puzzle out who that celebrity we approached was? Wow, what a question. Okay. So uh, we, uh, is RuPaul's Drag Race is the- Yes, most what definitely. we sussed out. And so, uh -huh. I mean, it's not gonna just be RuPaul. That would be way too straightforward. I will confirm that RuPaul's Drag Race is the remaining category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So someone, someone Yogesh's dad knew while also not having much exposure to most mainstream aspects of gay culture. So I'm just trying to think like RuPaul was in the Love Shack video and also I think played the counselor in the Brady Bunch movie. 
I don't know if either of those are helpful <laughs> tidbits, but are both non you know drag race ways to um yeah what 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 do we think the connection would be between rupaul's drag race and this celebrity that was recognized by yogesh's dad so is it like maybe like one of the contestants on the show just has the name in common with this person that's right i mean because because that's maybe that's the significance of the virtually no exposure to most mainstream aspects of gay culture comment that's 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 saying the connection here is is only nominal Mm -hmm. right and what would the other connection to another category be then? You know, like we, it's... Oh, it would still be this category. It would just be like, coincidentally, this celebrity... But I'm saying it, it yeah. might might even cross oh, over. Oh, I see. Sorry, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, good um, point. Good point. So either tennis, could be tennis. Or, or Eurovision. Yeah. Eurovision, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I, is there a celebrity, like a LA celebrity, presumably movie or TV, you know? Maybe, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, obviously music is possible. That... That would be a Eurovision related. I mean, that seems less. Is there like a tennis star that like who whose name is interesting and, and could be co-opted, you know, used by a by a contestant? Yeah, uh, contestant. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, uh, not making much headway. Known PF Chang aficionados. <laughs> okay, no, that's not that's not getting coming up. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just like trying to think of who else. This man who's a nice person. Who's a nice person. And what other, who who kind of would cross that line? So it's it's not somebody who, um, it's I, my my reading of this is that it's not like a an icon of like gay culture, right? Because or even like obviously the gender rules it out, but not even maybe like, you know. So I'm just still. Yeah, I wish I knew more about Yogesh's dad and what he likes and familiar with. Okay, um, I don't know. Should we just? Pluck something out of the hat, more or less. Here, tennis overlap. Andre Agassi, you know, Andre, Andre, Andre McEnroe. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, John oh. McEnroe is like the. I mean, it would be based on reputation. Him being a nice guy is maybe yeah. not what you'd expect, <laughs> but um, I don't, maybe maybe in person and off the court, he's <sighs> pleasant. Yeah, I think if Ben's going to get this, I mean, it's just like Ben needs to have an advantage in getting this, yeah. right? So the only other the only uh, other person, and this is like doesn't really make any sense, other than yeah. I also ran into this person in a Los Angeles <laughs> area restaurant. Um, I like it. I like it. And like kind of as tangential on some ways yeah. as Richard Simmons. Okay, uh, but yeah. I don't. Yeah, who mm. potentially would? Okay. Potentially uh, you know, could be exposed because of his exercise videos. I like. I don't want to speculate on yeah. um, Yogesh's dad's exercise regimen and whether, whether or not he had sweated to the oldies. But I uh, look. I, I think I we have so know. few guesses. I'm yeah. happy with that fairly arbitrary guess. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. We're gonna lock in right. with Richard Simmons. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So yeah, I think generally people only hear about celebrity encounters when there's something like some ne- someone has a negative account of them, which kind of is unba- unfair to celebrities because no one ever hears about the times when they're nice. So I just wanted to kind of put out there that this person, at least in our encounter, was nice. Just, you know, I, I think it's important to mention that with any celebrity. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I really wanted to make this a fair question for people who, you know, obviously would know nothing about my father. So I tried to put in enough to that it could be puzzled out, even if you know nothing about my father, which I expect none of you to. And let's find out if that's true, Ben. Okay. Well, I, I don't have the answer right away. If, 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 if unfortunately for myself, 
yeah, I was sort of hung up on the sort of unexpectedly or who was notably nice. So I was thinking of someone who's notably known for not being mean or for not being friendly. I don't think this person really directly falls into Drag Race. I'm trying to think if there's anyone like famously mean on Drag Race who your father would be aware of in 2005. And that was not, I mean, like notably, you know, bitchy contestants like Gia Gunn or something wouldn't have really been on anyone's radar back then. So the person who I thought of would be possibly at an LA PF Changs and does have more direct Eurovision crossover potentially than other have been some future contestants on like UK X Factor would be Simon Cowell was my guess here. But I don't think that's probably right. Although he is sort of an archetypal reality show judge. And so in a lot of ways, probably has influenced the panel sort of setup of RuPaul's Drag Race. So I don't love that guess, but I don't have a better one at the moment either. So I'm going to go with Simon Cowell. Has Simon Cowell been a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race? No, I don't think he's ever had anything to do with RuPaul's Drag Race. So that's why I don't like that guess. But I, yeah. I, I can't think of anything beyond that. Like I said, I really was trying to play fair with the question, including, you know, someone who is actually connected, you know, substantially connected to RuPaul's Drag Race. Who, who are the judges on RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, currently, they would be RuPaul, Michelle Visage, Ross Matthews. Oh, maybe it's Ross Matthews. And although I don't know what he would have to do with tennis or Eurovision. And then Carson Cressley, I guess it's probably the one who alternates with him, who would have maybe been around through Queer Eye for the Straight Guy in 2005. I think that was probably later than that. And that would probably be more exposure to gay culture than you're implying your father had to know about Queer Eye. Yeah, so... Actually, so so the Eurovision Song Contest has been broadcast on Logo, not the past couple mm-hmm. years, but a few years before that. For a few years it was, yeah, yeah. And interestingly, I don't know if this was a deliberate crossover or what, both Carson Kresley and Ross Matthews at different times served as commentators on mm-hmm. that cast. But yeah, 2005, Queer Eye, actually, I mean, so my father did in fact know what Queer Eye was because the advertising, so it was on Bravo, which... At that time, Bravo was kind of in a transition period. I actually watched that channel quite a bit then because I was really into Columbo and they showed Columbo reruns. But then they would also show things like, you know, the, this was when Real Housewives and Queer Eye were both kind of getting started. So the, the network was in the process of transitioning from kind of reruns of older shows to its current reality slate. But Bravo, I think, is owned by NBC. So when Queer Eye got really popular, they did start showing it on NBC and they started showing promos for it. So my father, you know, was watching a lot of NBC at the time. So he was aware of it. He didn't know who any of the people were, though. So he wouldn't have known who Carson Presley was. As for the reason he was watching NBC so much, he was a huge fan of Jay Leno. And so mm. he Ross Matthews. A fan of Jay Leno's protege, Ross Matthews. Oof. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Hmm. What well, was the crossover into the other category? For, oh, yeah. Eurovision commentator. Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, oh, cool. He, he crossed over with Eurovision. That'll narrow it down. And then I looked at who commentated the year before. And I was like, oh, it's Carson Kresge. That doesn't yeah. narrow it down at all. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that Ross Matthews would have been famous as early as 05. But I guess he was sort of the sidekick or one of the sidekick intern characters on Mena for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's how my friend who he was. Okay. okay, Ben and Chris now to try and steal from Jimmy. So even though this is a podcast, so normally I don't ask visual-oriented questions. This one will come with a a visual demonstration. Oh boy. <laughs> right now, I am moving my hands away from the midline of my body. Watching me, you are initially confused about why I am moving my hands away from the midline of my body. After thinking about it, you conclude that I am most likely moving my hands away from the midline of my body in order to illustrate an action that relates to this question. 
So what one word could be used by a kinesiologist to describe my behavior and by a pragmatic philosopher to describe yours? Um, confusion? <laughs> I don't think it's the right <laughs> answer. But okay, so uh, yeah, that's already in the question too. So it's definitely not the right answer. So moving away from the center of a body would be what, like? I'm wondering if it's something like, cause ception has like a, a meaning and like, like proprioception has meaning. So like if it's perception or conception, you know, like would that be like what a pragmatic philosopher is this, like we're, um, our, our act of coming to understand the clue, like what he means is like- Our act of coming to understand it is, is, and like, is a conception. And yeah. like in the same way, like concentric or a, you know, like, Something moving yeah, hands away. I'm moving. I'm. I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe not conception, but something like exception. We can like tease out what the etymology might be of like hmm. moving away from. Um, yeah, I don't think of exception in sort of kinesiology. Is there kinesiology uses? Pro- Proprioception is like the sense of like is like what you call the sense of your body having awareness of where like parts of it are. Oh, okay. It's a strange like. So it's like what you would call your. Uh, you Could know. that be the answer? Proprioception. I mean, I I don't know. It sounds like a complicated enough word that I would not know what it meant either. Meaning, but uh, I. Yeah, I mean, like I'm actually. I don't think this is like this is not. This doesn't sound like conception to me. It needs to be, it needs to be a more complicated prefix than con, which, which just means like. I mean, with, pro- proprioception. Right? That's not right, might, right. Proprioception might be it. I mean, like because it's demonstrating that you have that i mean i'm okay i'm not i'm i'm not, I'm I'm not in hate with that, <laughs> I'm not in hate with that. well that's all we can hope for all right um, um yeah let's go i'm okay with gonna, that let's go with that we'll go with proprioception all right i'll keep quiet about that and pass it to jimmy yeah okay i don't know this one outright for sure proprioception i think is an excellent answer had i been able to come up with that word myself i, I probably would have just answered that so i'm trying to think if there's a pragmatic philosopher into this question don't really know my pragmatists that well, um, and or nor their concepts. Pragmatic philosophers, Dewey, what concepts are familiar or associated with them? Um, geez, kinesiologist. Okay, I have a hard stop in a few minutes, so I, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna um, spare everyone and say, <sighs> proprioception is really I think the right answer. So I'm gonna just say, um, perception is a stupid answer, but I'm just gonna say that. All right, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize you had a hard stop, but there's only one question after this, so I'll try and rush through this. Basically, I mean, the pragmatics, you know, they, they were concerned with how do we know things about the world, right? And sort of being pragmatic, you know, the name implies practicality. So it's not logically airtight, how do we know things like induction or deduction, but rather how do we kind of infer things in the most likely way? So if you're a kinesiologist, kind of in terms of movement toward the midline of the body is adduction away from the midline abduction, which is also the term for the kind of reasoning. To uh, inference is the best explanation. I um, should have thought about that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a fun question. All right. And now the final question, Jimmy and Ben to try and steal from Chris. One of the fathers of modern socialism and arguably the first utopian socialist was Henri de Saint-Simon, a former aristocrat who fought on the American side during the American Revolution and was imprisoned during the reign of terror following the French Revolution. From the age of 40 onward, he lived in poverty, but continually wrote down his ideas and eventually accumulated a small but devoted band of acolytes. Still, considering himself a failure, he shot himself in the head six times in 1823. 
he somehow survived but died a couple of years later. Thus, he never saw the rise of what protege of his, now considered one of the most important intellectuals of the 19th century. This man developed a law of three stages describing the evolution of societies, and following the death of his platonic muse, Clotilde de Vaux, founded a secular religion of humanity that flourished for a while in several parts of the world, particularly Brazil, where it inspired the motto, Ordem e Progresso, that can't additionally be seen on the Brazilian flag. Okay, so I, I should know this because I wrote a whole question about the Brazilian flag in one of my packets mm-hmm. this year, and it definitely included this French guy who's associated with, how much is giving Chris hints or not if he needs hints, but who's associated with positivism. It's a sort of movement oh. that, that is positivism. Okay. involved in the Ordem in Progresso, Ordem in Progresso. Okay, so it's, um, a Fr- it's a French person? It's a French person who wrote something they then got adopted by Brazil. But it's the French answer we're looking for Secular, here. Secular, oh, you know, is, you know, is, what, you know what, you know, I know, is it I know August Comte? It's Comte, yes. Yeah, Religion okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 okay. That sounds good. I, before, yeah. if, before, before we lock that in though, I want to say that if you consider yourself a failure and then shoot yourself in the head six times and still don't die, you probably are a failure. I mean, six <laughs> times in the head and not dying, good grief. How do you even shoot yourself in the head six times with like, what I imagine is not like an automatic rifle. I'm baffled by that part, but yeah, I like Comte as an answer. I think that I, I, I'm almost certain that's right. Yeah. Okay, let's go with Comte. Okay, yeah, I was originally going to name the three stages and then I realized the last one was the positive stage, which is a really direct clue to positivism. But yeah, the, the founder of modern sociology, Auguste Comte is correct. And so, yeah, because Ben and Jimmy were basically neck and neck and since you both got full points on that, Jimmy very narrowly ends up remaining in the lead. Wow. Mm. Game, Jimmy. Great game, great game. The final scores are Jimmy 31.1, Ben 30.2, and Chris 25.0. So yeah, it then generally end with and each of you getting a chance basically to make a statement, anything you want. If it's not too long or offensive, it'll be kept in. <laughs> Going in kind of reverse order of finish, so the lowest finisher gets the last word. We'll start with Jimmy. Okay, yeah, I just want to say this has been a blast. Thanks so much, Yogesh, for taking the time to think of these excellent questions and the the hours you've spent with us today. This has been a real delight. So really appreciate you having us on. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, Yeah, I will definitely echo Jimmy's sentiments. Thank you, Yogesh, for these bespoke questions. It's a very cool experience getting to have stuff in our wheelhouse. And hopefully you enjoyed the rabbit holes of Eurovision and Drag Race, which I'm not sure how much time you spend in those otherwise. But thank you for that. And shout out to our fourth member of our, of our team, who's very much our fourth wheel, Dan Fitel. Hopefully we'll be able to be on the show at some point in the future. And I will go explore the girls allowed discography and realize how deep and vast it is unbeknownst to me and <laughs> have a pity party with that. I'm still amazed to have done, gotten anything right on the show. So overall, very happy. Thank you. Yeah, I noticed looking at girls allowed discography after their first 20 singles went to the top 10, their 21st went to number 11 and stayed there. Mm. Uh, then they went on hiatus for three years, presumably because they were so ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Chris. Yeah, I just want to reiterate what everyone said. These are these are fantastic questions. I love trying to puzzle through. And it's a it's a very new format for that where you have time to like chase these threads compared to some of the OQL or Quizzing World Cup or other formats that a lot of us participate in. So yeah. it's a fun new way to like work with people I see all the time and we never really this. I, I really appreciate that opportunity. And yeah, and just 
to you, especially for including us in this and just like in general, the quizzing community that has like kind of formed around the last year. Just want to shout out like a, an awesome environment of solidarity and support and friendliness that I've encountered everywhere I've been in that. So thank yeah, you. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. And congrats. We didn't mention it, but congrats Yogesh, by the way, for beating Chris in Learned League yesterday. <laughs> that's, that's true. As of recording this. I was, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe Yogesh will have his second ever film question miss on an obscurish Disney Plus film, but you know, it was not to be. I do you mind, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what was the one film question you did miss? And do you, do you recall offhand? Yeah, it was the highest grossing G-rated film of all time. Oh. And I was debating between the Lion King remake and Toy Story 4. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Lion King remake more. And it's a shot for shot remake of a G-rated film. So it must be G-rated. Mm -hmm. Turns out a shot-for-shot -shot remake of a G-rated film can be rated PG. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, that's it's a tough break. I, I have to run, but but thanks again. Yeah. This has been, yeah. this has been yes. Thank you, Olgan, Thank so you Yogesh. Appreciate yeah. it very much. Yeah. See you right. soon. One of these places, I'm sure. This has been episode 10 of season two of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Rao. Thanks for listening. <laughs>